Wrestling Geeks And Geek Vibes Nation, this is your pal Dan Alves, and me and my co-host Christopher Brother Ray Patton have a great show for you guys tonight. We're going to be going over the the start of the Thunderdome that happened on SmackDown uh, and review that. And then, of course, the two shows Saturday night, we got NXT TakeOver, and then we also had, of course, AEW Dynamite, which got moved because of the schedule of the NBA I believe finals. I don't keep up sports enough. Uh, but anyways, someone that kind of does and can probably uh, answer that question. Christopher, brother Ray Patton, how you doing, sir? Doing good, man. A little tired, but uh, it's uh, it's good to be on here talking to you. How, how's your big Monday going, I should say? Uh, Monday is, uh, you know, it's Monday. It's uh, It wasn't the worst day at work, which was nice. It was kind of an easy day, but I just... I get up in the morning, Chris, and I'm just like, where the fuck did the weekend go? It's done. And then it's over with. Uh, <laughs> and then you're back. So what are you going to do? Yeah, very similar here. I've been working. Well, last week it was like every day was like a 10-hour day. So I feel you. It's been, it's been, it's been bad. <laughs> Is every day a winding road? Do you get a little bit closer, Chris? Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that checks out. <laughs> uh, who was that? Was that Cheryl Crow? I think it was Cheryl Crow. Doesn't really matter right now. But anyways, this is going to be, if you can't tell already, guys, very sleepy show. Um, I had a V8 energy, so hopefully that green tea will kick in. Woo! Uh, but we got some stuff to talk about. I'm going to be kind of like... Once it starts having her on the background and kind of just trying to just pay attention barely to it, but hopefully nothing crazy like Brock Lesnar enters because then I'll just go silent or some shit. But hey, man, um, before we get into – well, we're not going to talk about uh, SummerSlam tonight. We're going to be doing that on a separate show, keep everything kind of like – you know so we don't have like five-hour shows every single time. But um, I got to say the, the Thunderdome itself, before we go into SmackDown – it was very interesting. I mean, it's definitely the closest that they could possibly do to having something look like an actual event. Uh, the arena that they have rented out that I found out, I forgot who, who was complaining about it. I don't, I don't know if it was Brian Alvarez or Raj Geary. Um, but basically, they have that fucking place rented out, period, until the end of October. Every day, they can use it if they'd like. And the fact that they're not putting NXT, and obviously they didn't have TakeOver there, they they moved it to Full Sail, uh, which I still don't understand why they're not at least doing shows at Full Sail. I don't know what the hell's going on. There's a pandemic. But either way, the Thunderdome was rather interesting. Um, I think that the two biggest problems that they had, one of them they addressed and kind of got fixed by Sunday, and that was how the audience was like a bit off, like their reactions were happening a little bit later. 
Uh, and I think they kind of got that uh, Sunday. And the, the second thing is something that's going to be hard for them to do, and that's the piped-in sound that they're adding in because, I mean, you can't really trust a bunch of people to, you know, not say stuff. They had really minor things that happened, more of a Pikachu and a sign against Velveteen Dream, nothing too uh, too bad. But um, if you do anything, you know, like uh, flick off the camera or show your butt uh, it's attached to your account, um, your your WWE account, and I guess you could technically make one if you wanted to, a different one is what I'm saying. Don't do that. Do not put your butt on Monday Night Raw. That would be rude. Uh, but they'll kick you off basically, and then you can't come back. So they got people monitoring that. Um, and the sound, the piped-in sound, it did seem jarring Friday. I thought for the most part, for the most part, that by Sunday. Um, they had improved it, but it also still at certain parts, mostly during that Fiend and uh, Braun Strowman match, definitely uh, was a bit uh, noticeable. So uh, besides that, you know, me and you were worried about it getting, you know, kind of being too distracting, I would say. And uh, with the people, you know, guess who in the background. Um, and I don't think that was as bad. Um, as as it could have been at first it was, but I kind of slowly got used to it. Uh, but like, what did you think about the Thunderdome or the concept they're doing with this? And once again, like I asked you before, now that I know that they have the place rented out just in general, why the fuck are they not doing NXT there, <laughs> or at least Takeover? Uh, they had fire though at that full sale. That was neat. Yeah, so it's still a little just uh, off-putting for me watching it. As of right now, I think the more and more I see it, the more I'll get used to it. But, I mean, you are looking at just kind of a sea of – it's like being in a giant Zoom meeting but with a wrestling match going on in front of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, it's, I, think, I think it's a neat idea. It's a good way for them to have crowd responses and at least crowd reactions. And, and from what I said and what I, what I gather, this is, also gives them a way to watch the show differently, right? If you have a VR headset, wasn't that part of it? Or did they decide against that? I believe that? so. I, I don't remember, actually. I know that they mentioned something about VR, but I haven't looked into the details uh, itself. Yeah, because, I mean, they're pushing this as this is a new way to also watch Raw. It is to become part of this Thunderdome thing. So I'm assuming that there's some advantages there. And maybe I'll try to research into that some more um, for the next show. But, yeah, the piped-in sound... Um, I think that one thing they could do is look at what the NHL has done with their piped-in sound, which is they used, they've used their video game, the NHL 2K games, and they just have it really low. Like, it's there, and you can hear it, but it's not distracting. They're not pushing it so hard that it's, like, over top of the match or the announcers in a way that sounds weird. Um, and WWE's done piped-in sound forever on recorded shows. They, they'll change chants and... No! It's it's usually really? kind of it's it's usually kind of glaring. I mean, even some of these NXT shows they've done as of late, it's not it's not anything new. Um, but yeah, I think it's just the biggest thing is getting used to the visual aspect of it. It, it would have been the same. It was the same thing when it was just empty. So I think once I get used to it, it won't be as big of a deal. But it was it was as I thought it was going to be for me at least, which is a bit distracting. Yes, and I think I agree with you on the fact that it could be somewhat distracting. Um, 
But either way, uh, this is how they're going to be doing it. So we'll just, you know, see how this works out. Uh, it's just very interesting. I still would just add natural sound if you have those people that do want to kind of come out and, I guess, be on the sides that are not, you know, just some actual people in the arena itself is not going to hurt it. But it does look like guess who? It really does. It looks like a giant guess who? Uh, <laughs> sea of guess who? You know, I think that's the other thing is if they could make the images a bit smaller or something. I don't know. Um, the NBA or is get the everyone's same way. head the same size because it's kind of jarring when you see like body profile, body profile, huge head, huge head. Like, OK, <laughs> everyone, let's have like a camera course of where to have these motherfucking things right beforehand. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's... Triple H explain that. That'd be amazing. <laughs> All right. I want you guys to try to get in frame uh, just enough so you can see a little bit of your torso and up. Make sure you do not show your butt cheeks. Uh, yeah. And, and like I said, the NBA is also doing this. And it looks it's it's I think the primary difference there is it's not as close to the ring and the faces are. They have actual people there as part of the crew and the basketball team that are sitting courtside. So it seems like it's kind of just an afterthought of fans being there. It still isn't as weird as baseball. Baseball just has the cardboard cutout people right now. And that in itself is a fucking whole different weird thing. So whatever. I mean, it's a cool idea. They're trying something new. And it sounds like there are some benefits as a fan watching it if you if you do this. Um, and I'm glad that they're trying to monitor it. I don't know how many people they have monitoring these different webcam feeds. But that sounds like a nightmare. And uh, yeah, I mean, I yeah, think that overall, like a it went, job. I, I think overall it went way better than I expected it to. Um, just from the from the, from the like, standpoint of fans not being dickholes. <laughs> I like the uh, the overabundance of LEDs and uh, what you call it, uh, bringing a lot more um, fireworks back. Actually, they they're definitely spending some money with this. But as John Moxley will will would note, you know, it's not going to take LEDs and an arena and all this nice stuff. It's going to take the removal of, of Mr. Vince McMahon to actually get something completely different. So that was, uh, was quite a statement. And I kind of agree with them, but what are you going to do? At least he's trying to think outside the box with this, right, Chris? Yeah. It's just weird that it, it's like four months later when there was other places that are already doing these digital, uh, digital crowds. And also the NXT thing is weird. If you're going to run out the arena, I don't know why you wouldn't offer to run both shows here unless it's just a cost thing. I mean, it could just be that this thing costs the, the same amount as running a live raw for all I know. And that's, yeah, we looked at that in the past. It's like 600, $700,000 an episode to do raw. <laughs> from just yep. from a production standpoint. So if they're back up to that range, um, I don't know the benefit would be there for doing that for NXT. Yeah, I agree. Um, but anyways, uh, we kind of, with SmackDown, we would open up to the presentation of this, you know, see all the lights, see all the, the fireworks. Uh, I think it got intro before by, uh, by um, I don't know if it was, it was Todd Phillips, and it was like, boom, 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 and lights. And then Vince McMahon's in the ring's like, welcome to Monday Night Raw. And before he could do anything, everything goes black, and The Fiend enters. And I love, a lot of people did not like this. 
But I like that Vince kind of no-sold the fear of The Fiend at first. Because in character, the concept of Mr. McMahon, even though he's so fucking old and this thing has made direct, you know, a lot of jokes referring to him, if I'm being in kayfabe, even though I'm talking about The Fiend, whatever. Um, you know, Vince, he kind of wasn't impressed at first. And then when he got in the ring, things kind of changed with his attitude. And there was a little bit of a gulp. Uh, but then all of a sudden, Braun Strowman comes in. And then you have the two of them facing off. Vince gets the fuck out of there, which was smart of him. I think most other wrestlers would chill in the ring for some fucking reason while Godzilla and King Kong go at it. And then Retribution attacks. Fiend pops on the lights, pops off the lights. He's gone. And these... The thing is with Retribution that's not helping is their outfits. They could look a bit cooler. Like, not just sweatpants and a fucking sweatshirt and a fucking hat. Like, they look like... This is this the the name of the gang is through the looms or some shit like that. Like that's that's definitely something they they need to put a little bit more or organization into so they don't look fucking ridiculous. But uh, about twenty of them uh, of the Dark Order members, I mean Retribution, take out uh, Braun Strowman, and then you have the baby faces all come out pouring into the ring to try to help out, and then the heels led by Baron Corbin. Uh, during this, we would find out later, because Jeff Hardy has a match for the IC belt against AJ Styles. He was saying that someone fell on his knee. We would also find out that AJ Styles just kicked the shit out of him in the back of the knee and then get the fuck out of there. And uh, another big note before stuff before Retribution left and stuff started you know, getting bad between the heels and the baby faces, uh, mainly Sheamus and Big E, who are about to have a match. Um, whatchamacallit? Uh... Man, I, I forgot where I was going with this. That's that's terrible. Oh, The Miz came out dead last for some reason. Now, a lot of people interpret that maybe this is a red herring to throw everyone off. I thought they were just trying to be funny, and it was like Miz is such a pussy that he heads out and he gets there, you know, dead last. Like, yeah, well, come on, you know, just that's what I just would figure he would do. But it was uh, it was interesting. It was kind of a clusterfuck. But I mean, this kind of mimics. Uh, a lot of the stuff that a lot of us liked, I guess, about the Attitude Era, so maybe they're trying to do it based off of that. Um, I liked the match with Big E and Sheamus. I thought it was big men slapping meat, and it was pretty, uh, you know, uh, uh, aggressive. And um, Big E ended up getting the win with Sheamus. But uh, we'll kind of go a little bit more into that. But how did you like this opening to the Thunderdome, Chris? Yeah, I didn't have as big of a problem with Vince. I don't I don't even want to call it no selling it, but I mean this is a guy that's been around it's Vince, right? So he's been in the ring with Undertaker and Kane. To some extent he's got to try to be a badass to begin with before giving you the classic Vince McMahon I'm scared gulp, which I think is what they were going for. Um so I didn't have a huge problem with that. I totally agree with you with this uh the buttermilk sweatpants gang. That they have going or whatever the hell they're doing. I mean, the original idea, I guess. <laughs> Buttermilk sweatpants gang. Sorry. I think the original idea would be to have them dress like the Shield, but they've already done that, so they can't just have all of these guys in like all black SWAT gear. I guess. So they're. I don't know. They're trying something. <laughs> I don't know if it's working for me or not, but they're trying something. And then. Um, the Jeff Hardy thing, it would, so AJ just attacked Jeff Hardy and they were trying to tie it into the Antifa storyline, even though they're completely separate, I guess. 
is what we saw. Yeah, he, he just he wanted to fuck up his legs uh, so he wouldn't be good for their match later on. So he just took advantage of the the chaos because Jeff was like talking to doctor. He's like, I don't know what happened, doc. You know, I think someone fell on it. And then we find out that you know AJ's came over, chop blocked him with his fucking foot, and then get the fuck out of there real quick. It's pretty funny. Yeah, and I, um, for me right now, I think Hill AJ works, and I'm looking forward to you know I, I look forward to seeing if they continue this down the road, what they're going to be doing with AJ and uh, and Jeff because it's been good so far. Yeah, I mean it's it's a throwback. They're two great wrestlers. There's not a lot of uh, complaints to have about this, and especially the crazy thing that they did at the end of the night with the switch of the IC title. So I think they're going to be uh, hanging out for a minute, and I have no problem with that at all. But uh, one thing kind of uh, to get back to you real quick. So at the end of the match, another another story beat that happens, even though they're both heels, Baron Corbin and Sheamus are both feuding. So we would have Baron Corbin just go and fucking knock Matt Riddle you know, just to be a dick because he doesn't like Matt Riddle and, and say to Chad Gable, like, that's like how you do it, bro. And then, uh, you know, that causes distraction that would end up getting Sheamus rolled up by Big E to get the win. So I don't understand the concept of a heel versus heel thing like Sheamus and, and Baron Corbin, you know, say what you will about them. Seem like your top heels on SmackDown. Why would you want them, you know, feuding with each other? Big men slapping meat. I mean, I mean, unless they think that Sheamus isn't a heel, or they're looking to turn him babyface for some reason. That's a that's a really good track record to get to babyface <laughs> after you know disparaging someone for being an alcoholic and oh god WWE with their creative. I didn't, I didn't say it was though. good. I mean, why the hell would they even be putting them anywhere near each other? But, I mean, they're just trying to load up the middle of that card to give you some kind of storylines in the middle of SmackDown. I mean, outside of, uh, I mean, you just wrapped up the Mandy Rhodes storyline. That's done. Heading out the pay-per-view. Um, well, I mean, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it for people listening to this. We have a new champion. We flip-flop the title on this show for the IC belt. So, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I guess they're just trying to reset as much as they can all at one time. And it's, it doesn't sometimes that doesn't necessarily make the best of sense. I, I, I tend to agree with you there. A heel versus heel, Sheamus and Baron Corbin, who are very similar as far as like how they've been portrayed thus far. Yeah. And where the hell does that leave Chad Gable, I guess, in this whole thing? I guess the answer to that is maybe they're just going to go completely away from him. Yeah, probably. All right, so after this, we have the match that I think everyone was anticipating uh, between uh, Lucha House Party and Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura for the, the, the tag titles. Um, I'm just kidding. I mean, I, dude, I, I like a lot of the guys in this, but this is what's happened. This is what's happened between this. I don't remember a lot of this, and I'm pretty sure I was pretty sober Friday night. Maybe I wasn't. I don't know. But... Um, I do remember that Nakamura and Cesaro won, and afterwards, you know, we had a pissed-off Dorado uh, blaming stuff on on Kalisto about the loss, and Kalisto being like, what the fuck's your your deal, dude, and them pushing them back and forth uh, with with Metalik trying to, like, you know, keep them separate. So it looks, looks to me, Chris, that there is some dissension in Lucha House Party. 
Yeah, <laughs> that, I guess that's what they're going for. Are they going to try to separate Grand Metalik out into a way where they can actually utilize him um, as a singles competitor? Hopefully. Hopefully. But, but like Lucha House Party, he's been a fucking faction for what, six years now. <laughs> Lucha, Lucha. Where's Sin Cara? He's, or second Sin Cara, whatever. The hell, he needs to come back and join him. Well, he left, right? So he, yeah. he got, uh, I don't know. I like Shinsuke Nakamura and Sh- Cesaro as a tag team. <laughs> okay. I mean, they're kind of randomly thrown together. It doesn't make sense on why they would be partners, and it was never really explained to us very well, but, you know. That's kind of Cesaro. That's kind of Cesaro's thing, though, is random guy with the other guy on the tag team. <laughs> oh yeah, but at least with the way that they did it with him and Sheamus, it was because they had a series of matches. Right? Yeah, and they had to learn to respect each other because it was that best of five kind of thing. And and then Mick Foley was the one who put them together, so they were kind of forced together. That Whereas, is right. That that crazy Mick Foley. But the difference here is like I don't remember what happened with Nakamura and Shame or uh, Cesaro. Weren't they just in a group with God? Who were they in a group with now? Sami Zayn. Sammy. So they had that little faction. And Sammy's just being gone, and they stick together. They're like, ah, oh, we're we're still friends, I guess. I don't know. That that one's a bit weird to me still. But you uh, think that in, like uh, that that maybe uh, Cesaro has gotten like a little bit. Fucked up and been like, we're the bar. And did the whole thing, and then like Shinsuke's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, he might have on accident. Who knows? That'd be fucking hilarious if he said that, and then it's just like him and Sheamus get back together, and they feud with Cesaro. They, him and Sheamus get back together, and they feud with Nakamura. That's a storyline, I guess you could tell. I mean, yeah, that's. I would, I would love to see the bar back. They were actually a fun tag team, kind of a. Uh, not not a modern APA, but the same concept. Two guys that are really tough and beat the living fuck out of people and shit. You know, they, they had a good run. I, I would say so. I mean, they had some good matches, too, specifically that TLC match with the Hardys and some of the matches they had with both the New Days and the Usos. They were able to get some good stuff out of them. And if you look at the tag team division right now, um, getting the bar back together is not necessarily there's the a, worst idea. There's a tag team division? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Cesaro and Nakamura. <laughs> the Lucha House Party. Uh, anyways. All right, so Kayla is with Mandy Rose in the back. Um, oh, I kind of forgot that one thing that happened was Braun Strowman, once they all helped him out, he decided to be a dickbag and start beating the shit out of like Drew Gulak and Jey Uso. So there was that. Forgot that. That just came to mind. Anyways, Kayla was with Mandy Rose, and Mandy Rose basically said that you know, they kind of implied with both her and Sonya's, or yeah, her uh, their 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 promos that they're acknowledging what happened. I mean, I kind of it makes sense since it's such a big news item. But Mandy's like, you know, after all that we've been through, uh, I just I would like to try to put this stuff behind us. I don't want to have the match, and you know, uh, kind of more of a heartfelt promo. We'll just go over it now. Later, Sonya would have none of that. Uh, you didn't know what she was going to say uh, beforehand. Dana Brooke came up to her and was like, I'm so sorry to hear what happened to you this last week. Um, you know, th- that must have been really scary or something like that on those lines. And she slapped her across the face and said disrespectful. 
and then cuts a promo about how she doesn't want to do the hair versus hair anymore. So this is changing stuff, you know, unfortunately due to the circumstance, what it sounds like is that Sonya is stepping out. Uh, spoiler alert, I guess. I mean, by the time you listen to it, SmackDown's been out for a day or two. So, or not SmackDown, but um, whatchamacallit, uh, SummerSlam. But Sonya wants to take a break for a second, uh, which sucks because it's really right now while she's getting a push. But after everything that happened, the fact that she'll probably have to be at some court dates in the future, she's taken out like a month or two off to herself or however long she really needs to. But it's kind of understandable. But basically she raised the stakes and said that it was a loser leaves town. So they obviously changed the original aspect of the match. We'll never know exactly what the hell was going to happen with that. But that's inevitably what happened. So what did you think about Mandy's, uh, you know, promo? What did you think later on about Sonya's? Um, changing the stakes and you know she had a chance to kind of go baby but she decided to go full heel with it and uh, the, the fact that she's taking some time off yeah I think that taking some time off based on you know what we talked about on the previous show everything that happened with her the home intruder and it, it makes a little bit of sense I don't know that that changed the outcome of their match like I don't know if, if Mandy Rose was seriously going to lose and get her hair cut off um, anyways, so I think the finish was probably the same in my opinion, but uh, I thought Mandy's promo was pretty good, and I I like Sonya Deville as a as a complete he- heel. Uh, I just it, it seems to fit her personality a bit better um, in look, I should say. But it, yeah, I completely understandable on why she would be taking some time off, and it is unfortunate because well, we say that, but we also don't know where that storyline was going. They could have nothing for her to do for the next three months i mean for fuck's sake naomi's been back and they haven't done anything with her so it's it's weird yep i would have to agree all right so basically is this the part yeah so Corey graves uh had out you know uh both sasha and or the raw women's champion sasha banks and the SmackDown Women's Champion Bailey out. It's talking about stuff, riling them up a bit because even though this has been a reoccurring thing for a long time, even though Corey Graves is a heel commentator, he still just does not like Sasha and doesn't like Bailey now because of that. So you know, kind of just pressing their buttons. And out comes who you were just talking about, Miss Naomi. And Naomi said, you know, she can beat both their asses, sort of thing. And they have a beat the uh, clock challenge. Um, it takes Banks and her have a really good back and forth match. Very short, obviously. And, you know, she rolled Naomi into a bank statement in three minutes and 39 seconds, uh, on the clock. That's what Bailey has to beat, but Bailey doesn't beat (laughs) Naomi. Naomi actually gets the better of her, uh, and pins her in a minute and 44 seconds. So Naomi on SmackDown. Now that Bailey is still champion, technically because she pinned her, has a reason to say, "Hey, I pinned you, bitch. Give me a fucking title shot." So there is that. Um, and after the match, Naomi stands tall. You can see this is all over. Who's going to go against Oscar first or last, I should say? So now Sasha has that benefit, if you will. Uh, don't know if it really turns into a benefit, but we'll, you know, uh, get there eventually. Um, but yeah. Uh, Banks, every time Bailey's not, you know, looking at her, she's smiling, grinning ear to ear. So this worked out 
the way she wanted to. Uh, but that was a pretty good sequence. I would have been pissed, Chris, and I think that's the biggest thing. If Naomi got beat by both of them and she was just like a small fucking measuring stick, but the fact that she actually beat Bailey, uh, the champion, in less than two minutes, you know, she's got a viable point for being like, hey, I think I, sh- I deserve a little shot at that title. Sucks that she lost to Sasha, but it is Sasha Banks, so, you know, what do you think about all this? Uh, I'm, I'm much on the same page as you. I'm glad that she did get a win. I, I assume that she was going to lose both matches and that, you know, it would just take Bailey slightly longer. So the fact they didn't go that route, I kind of appreciate. Um, and yeah, I, I guess this could set up a three-way or something in the future, or she definitely deserves to come out and say, hey, I think I deserve a title shot now. So whether they do that on, I mean, they got to have something for Backlash next weekend. Maybe that's the route they go. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering, too. Uh, well, it depends because the ladies are defending, and we don't know who they're defending uh, against. Maybe we'll find out tonight. I hope it's not the Iconics, but they're defending those tag titles. Uh, Stephanie's making them do that at payback, so unless Bailey's doing double duty, which she, she could be. I mean, I think that if you have two titles, you should have to defend both of them. <laughs> You're just you're, you're a hard ass about this, you know. I mean, that's what Becky Lynch did when she had both titles, right? Yeah, did she, she did. She, wasn't that the whole point of her being Becky Two Belts or whatever? Granted, I guess one is a tag team belt, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, they could just do that. They could just do that. I just don't want them to just do that match on SmackDown, throw it away, and then we don't hear about Naomi for another three months. Me too. That, that I, would be my biggest worry out of that. They they need something to freshen up that division, and not that Bailey and Sasha have been not entertaining, but you, you got to work in some new people for them to work against, I think. And uh, Naomi's not the worst choice. I agree with you. I I completely agree with you. I think that Naomi is a good choice to be someone to add some life. Uh, within the women's division on SmackDown. I mean, they have Lacey Evans, too. It's Hopefully they do something with either of them uh, going forward. Um, but, yeah. So we get – we first had, before the commercial break, a little showing that Braun Strowman – or not Braun Strowman. They were going to have a new Firefly Funhouse later on. Uh, then there was a package between the, 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 the rivalry of the Fiend Bray Wyatt – and and the WWE uh, Universal Champion Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss's involvement, and then Nikki Cross had a, a, a sit-down interview by herself talking about the changes in Alexa Bliss and and what's going on with her. Um, and by the way, we all know we know this. There was no fucking Alexa Bliss in the fucking match, so it was like, why the hell? Why? I mean, I guess stuff can happen on Friday. But now that Roman's back, I don't know what the fuck the point was with the Alexa Bliss shit. Could be wrong, but uh, I just feel like they're going to just drop it. Uh, what, what do you think, Chris? I tend to agree with you. I, I think they didn't know what the fuck they were going to do there, and they've completely decided against it. <laughs> Whatever they had planned, it sounds like they've canceled it, and we're just going to go back to, I guess, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross slightly feuding with one another as friends. Yeah, I don't know. It's very strange. She's she's might be darker. Remember, Bray always changes people. I mean, that's what he does. 
He turned he turned Finn Balor into Prince Devitt. He turned Daniel Bryan in, back into like the the Amer- the American Dragon persona. He uh he turned Michael Jackson the Thriller again. Um, wait, he didn't do that. Never mind. <laughs> I don't know what the hell well, I'm talking about. Well, I mean, like fucking Alexa was supposed to be a heel anyways. They just wrote turn her into this. a heel is what I'm going for basically. <laughs> Well, I mean, that was the whole thing. Wasn't she tricking Nikki Cross to do all of this shit for her? And then yeah. out of the blue, she just became a babyface? Yep. So, I, yeah, and, I mean, and I Alexa's guess... And Alexa's a damn good heel, I think. She would be better served in that role than in a tag team. I think the tag team helped her out because she just kept getting injured by people. She a little. She a little. Um... And then we have the match of the night, I believe. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be a hard thing when you have a Intercontinental title match where they gave a decent – I think there was two commercial breaks during this, so decent amount of time, too, with Jeff Hardy and, and AJ Styles. Uh, this would end very uh, – well, I, I don't think either of us saw it coming, Chris, if you will. <laughs> um, but both competitors are down as the referee counts. Hardy gets up and but stumbles down to one knee. AJ runs into – an elbow in the corner. Hardy tries to go to the top, but his knee goes out, and he falls to the mat in the corner. I remember that because, yeah, he was going for his knee at the beginning of the match uh, relentlessly, trying to get him so he couldn't get up on the top rope. So the referee checks on him. AJ Springboard's in from the apron, uh, probably going for the phenomenal forearm, but Hardy blocks uh, with the right hand to the gut. Styles follows up with a calf crusher in the middle of the ring. Hardy crawls to the bottom rope and finally makes it to break the submission. AJ continues to focus on the knee to shut down uh, uh, Jeff's offense. AJ goes for a Styles clash, but Hardy uh, with knees with the brace, or Hardy's knee with the brace uh, hits AJ on the face and drops him. Uh, Hardy drops AJ with a twist of faith, goes for a swanton bomb, and wins the match uh, and gets the Intercontinental title. It was very out of nowhere. Uh, there was a part where Kayla was trying to talk to AJ, and he was just pissed, bitching at Joseph Parks. I'm glad they're keeping them together as some type of unit. I think that's hilarious. And basically, so AJ exposed the knee, the messed up knee, and he had a knee brace on and, you know, ripped his pants open so he could really work on it. And it ended up screwing him over because Jeff unintentionally, you know, hit him with the fucking part. But, hey, man, those are knee braces. If 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 that's bad, AJ – you should go talk to Tegan Knox, okay? Because she uses a fucking <laughs> a knee to the goddamn face with knee brace on still. But uh, I thought this was a good match, man. I liked that little ending that AJ kind of fucked himself over. Uh, it was just apropos, if you will. But, um, yeah, it was good stuff. And now Jeff Hardy is the uh, IC uh, champion. Yeah, I wonder if this means that they're going to be doing some roster shaking or, or if they're just going to continue this feud. October, man, uh, they're doing a three-way trade. Uh, Triple H even commented on it and said that it will also involve NXT. So that's going to be very interesting. The shake-up between the three brands, trades. That Yeah, so, I mean, it could just be getting the title off of him, letting them feud for until October, and then moving AJ to Raw Yep. again. That would well, be... there's no Penguin there, so I think he'll be fine about it. <laughs> yeah probably but I, I mean I could see them doing something like that 
Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I thought it was a a, a good match, and uh, we would have. Is this where the the the, the nice yeah the Firefly Funhouse? God, this was this was just nuts. So it started off just a normal episode of a creepy rendition of uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but Mr. Rogers Bray Wyatt, uh, you know, he's break talking about more stuff involving the relationship between Alexa Bliss and Braun Strowman, and has a Huskett's pig playing the role of Braun, and Rambling Rabbit playing the role of Alexa Bliss, but within their version, they end up, like, you know, getting kissy face and saying, I love you, and Braun gets, or Bray gets mad, comes up, and he's like, that's not the way it needs to be, that's not what happened, and starts, like, scolding them, well, all of a sudden, Braun Strowman just fucking rips through there, and I have to say, I mean, as stupid as trying to keep this kayfabe, but just like anything involving anything mystic within wrestling, trying to give reasoning to it. With Seth, it was fucking dumb that he just knew where the Firefly Funhouse was. But with Braun, he's been in Bray's world, so it was a little bit less silly, I guess you could say. Either way, he kicks the shit out of out of Bray, throws him around, and then we kind of have – we go to a commercial, we come back to break – and we find out that he's just beating the crap out of Ray all throughout the back. And this this very similar, you know, he changes people, the, the the fiend or whatnot. And this is kind of trying to make him back to the brawn a couple years ago uh, where he was doing fucking just vicious shit like taking Roman Reigns, for instance, on a gurney and throwing him off a platform, uh, shipping dock platform, um, stuff like that. So he kind of does something like that, except for he choke slams Bray off a huge platform, just lets him fall, laughs, and gets the fuck out of there. Well, we would have a bunch of people rush the scene and uh, get a get an ambulance. And you know, Adam Pierce was so goddamn annoying in this, by the way, especially when the ambulance picked him up and they're leaving slowly, and he's like, "What are they doing? Get out of here! Get out of here! Leave!" You know, it stopped and it, everything, you know, was inside of it was blue and then it turned to red and then out came the fiend and he started laughing. All right. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't terrible or anything like that. They could have then had the fiend and fucking Braun go at it again. Like, let's let's amp the fight up again. Let's get back at this. You know, you're 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 hyping a, a false count anywhere match that we would find out would just go to gorilla position and that's about it. But you know, it was it was fine. And that that was the uh, send off for SmackDown before their SummerSlam event. What did you think about this, Chris? I'm done with the fiend. I think I'm I'm past the the Bray Wyatt fiend thing in general. So, I mean, it was there. It's not the worst thing they've done with the fiend or, or with Bray, but it also, the gimmick is dead to me really. I mean, I don't know that it has the same steam it had headed into that hell in a cell with Seth. And I don't know that they'll ever really get back there. So I would try to get the title off of him. Um, I think they have a reason. They have a way now. Don't make this the focal point of your show is, is more of what I would be saying. But I, I know there's people that still uh, still are behind the fiends, still like him. It's just, uh, I don't know. We've been seeing the same kind of storyline for uh, the past three or four months now. And 
out of all of that, there's been two good matches, and they were both with Daniel Bryan. So I'm just going to write that off as Daniel Bryan's a good wrestler. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's uh, I agree with you. Um, but yeah, well, you know, when we get to uh, SummerSlam, we'll go more into what direction they're going, but there is one direction they're going, and I wouldn't, I, something says they're gonna fucking place up a, a three-way this Friday, it's gonna be Braun, Fiend, and Roman for the title at Payback, and they're gonna put the title back on Roman Reigns, and he looks jacked as fuck, he looked aggressive as hell. His shirt was kind of a ripoff of it just seemed like Killstein Kill, but like his own rendition of that, you know, Chris. But I was very happy and excited to see the big dog. Back. What what did it say? It said everyone everyone must something. I don't remember. Hold I, I probably probably can find it. Just ramble for a second. Yeah, it just it reminded me of more of the Austin Arrive Raise Hell Leave shirt. Kind of. But I could see the Killstein kill. It says wreck everyone. Oh, what I can't I can't read it. Yeah, I think it said something wreck, like wreck, wreck every, every wreck everyone and leave. Yeah, so kind of arrive race hill hell leave. So kind of a shout out to Mr. Stone Cold Steve Austin. I like oh, when Jericho. Yeah. I like when Jericho did it and it said arrive, uh, arrive, troll, leave when he did the jacket gimmick and didn't say anything. He's so awesome. Um, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to a reason why I don't think he's so awesome a little bit later, but, um, mimosas. Um, yeah, actually let's go over AEW. So this is weird. You know, like we said, uh, because of the NBA schedule, AEW is pushed. Uh, the next couple weeks, I believe it's going to be on a Thursday, but they moved it to Saturday because they also had, I think, more games on Thursday this last week for the NBA. Um, and uh, they were waiting on an NBA game to finish. So if it went to, you know, them having to have more time, that was going to take away. So this was supposed to go on, I want to say, at 6 o'clock. It didn't go on until about 6.30, 6.45. So for a good portion of the time, we had AEW versus NXT still. And uh, the only difference was obviously it was TakeOver uh, versus Dynamite. And I thought TakeOver, for the most part, was an awesome show. But the ending of Dynamite really blew my mind. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll get there, obviously, because I just talked about the end of the show. But for the beginning, we started off with a match of FTR and Private Party. I will say this. I thought this this might have been uh, Mark Quinn and Isaiah Cassidy's one of their best matches they've had um, tag-wise. I thought they looked really good. I thought that FTR looked really good. Um, nothing was too egregious. It just looked like a, a good tag match. I think one of the biggest things that everyone's going to, you know, pay attention to is the fact that now Tully Blanchard is officially in their corner and there's going to be a word later on uh, thrown out there. What, what did he say? The revelation. Uh, so that might be the name of whatever faction. Now it looks like Tully is building. So very interesting stuff. But yeah, I really like this tag match. It was good. 
I mean, Tully Blanchard was being a dick and fucking causing some shit, but getting out of there real quick. So definitely uh, doing his uh, his spots. I like the part where at first I, – I, was it Isaiah or Mark Quinn when he came and blew a kiss over at Cash's face? And Cash almost got in the ring and punched him but missed him. And then later on, Cash would do that to him after he's beaten up his partner. I like little things like that. But I thought that – I thought – that FTR and Private Party actually had a pretty damn good match. Um, Private Party is getting better. That's that's for sure. But uh, uh, towards the end, um, Quinn and Cassidy enjoy a couple of minutes in control of the offense. But it isn't long before the veteran heel tactics of FTR surface and help Harwood and Wheeler find the opening they needed to turn the tide. To finish things off with the Goodnight Express double team finisher, after some outside interference from Tully Blanchard, provides the necessary assist to get FTR the victory and help them improve to a perfect 6-0 and record in the official AEW Tag Team rankings. One thing that's kind of impressive about this, in a way, and a couple of the wrestlers that are always using on, on Dynamite, um, they use Dark in order to up people's you know ranks and stuff like that to get some more wins for them. But it's it's usually an abundance of dark matches. So for FTR, all of them have happened just like I think it's not Darby Allen, but someone else in the singles division has a damn good record. And it's all been on on TV basically. So they're six and zero. They're happy with Tully. Um, after the match, Tully uh, enters the ring and celebrates with FTR. His commentary team puts over the fact that the former Four Horsemen member uh, has officially aligned himself with Harwood and Wheeler. Uh, but yeah, I like this match uh, to start off. I thought it was a good tag match. I think it was going on at the same time that the Fandango, Tyler Breeze, all that was going on for NXT. So lots of tags going on. I definitely paid attention a little more to this. What do you think, Chris? I thought it was a damn good opening match. And uh, I would say this is probably one of Private Party's best matches. I, I think the only other one that I could really say that was close to this is the three-way for the tag title that they had with uh, SCU and the Lucha Brothers. But they were completely different matches. Um, but yeah, I, they're, they're looking better in the ring. This one definitely wasn't as sloppy, but they're also, when you're working with the Young Bucks or, and with, I think the last match I saw them in was what, the, the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers? Or the mm. Young Bucks, and um, it may not have been the Lucha Brothers. It could have been... Uh, could have been Luchador, uh, Luchasaurus, and, and Jungle Boy, but uh, that match had a lot of like sloppiness in it, and this one really didn't. I thought it was pretty good overall. Definitely enjoyable. It's nice to see Tully out there with them. I expected there to be some follow-up to last week right off the bat, um, and they didn't get there right away. But outside of that, I mean, there wasn't really anything to nitpick about this. I'm I'm curious to see who the who the rest of this faction is going to be with Tully. Uh, definitely inter- interesting stuff for sure. Yep. So we had a backstage uh, promo with John Moxley. Um, so after the announced trio uh, run down some of the advertised matches and segments still to come on tonight's broadcast, they send things over to a backstage promo featuring AEW world champion Moxley. Uh, Moxley goes to knock Maxwell J. Uh, Friedman talking trash about MJF and calling him a virgin who lives in his mom's basement. He claims that he hopes Freeman uh, doesn't turn out to be the man to help take AEW through the next generation 
long after he is done with his own in-ring career. Oh, that he hopes. Okay, never mind. I fucked that up. The AEW champion goes uh, on to infer that MJF is hiding something, and he is going to get to the bottom of it. So good, uh, good promo by Moxley. Not a lot of him. Uh, it would be shortly, uh, you know, gone uh, to MJF's side of the story when we get back from break, and he's providing this promo segment of him. Um, with a walker, with a neck guard on, uh, with a lawyer, his whole entire, uh, you know, cabinet, I guess you could say, with his that one girl smiling the whole entire fucking time, Wardlow, and he gets all emotional and and, and is talking about how the the paradigm shift is not a move, it's 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 a it's a kill move, like you know, that he wants to have you know, grandchildren so he can run around with them, but he's not going to be able to because of what Moxley has done to his neck and all this bullshit, basically. At first, I really was like, this just makes you look like a fucking pussy. And then I realized, oh, that's what he's going for. He's being a fucking chicken shit heel that's trying to get Moxley's main move banned because he thinks that if that's not there, that's the only thing that can really take Moxley over the the edge. So he presents this lawyer who says that basically if he uses this move and he doesn't sign on it or whatever, that'll sue his ass. And I think Moxley is just going to look at it and be like, fine, fuck it. I have other things I can do and signs it because he's been kind of giving a little tribute to uh, Minoru Suzuki by doing the gotch pal driver and also the, uh, the, the choke. So I think he'll be fine. But, you know, like I said, Chris, I thought it was like even him, like making himself tear up and shit like that. I was like, I was like, I was like, this just makes you look like a bitch. And then I'm like, wait, that's what he's trying to do. So I was kind of conflicted by MJF a bit in this, but I think I get what they're trying to go for, and that's fine. Um, he's probably going to walk with a, with, a, with a walker all the way to the ring, smile, take it off, take off the neck brace. We all knew he was fine anyways, and now Moxley can't use a paradigm shift in the match. So it'll probably work out. But what did you think about Moxley's um, promo, and then what did you think about uh, – MJF segment uh, following that. Well, I thought both promos or the the segments themselves were really good. Um, the, the MJF stuff, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you, except for I get what they're doing with the band's move. The problem I have is he just almost ripped Brian Cage's arm off twice in the past two weeks, so I don't know how much that finisher is going to matter. Um if that's the case, then you should have only had John Moxley winning with that finisher, probably headed into this match. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, he's, that's got just... other, he's got other things you can do, man. He's got pile drivers. He's got gotch pile drivers. He's got, you know, arm bars. He's got, you know, choke holds. John Moxley, he's, he's unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's a little nitpicking thing, but outside of that, I thought both promos were entertaining. And uh, it's really funny to think that Dean Ambrose believes that MJF is just a virgin living in his mom's basement. That was pretty, <laughs> pretty damn funny. Did I lose you, Dean? No, I said, do you think that? That he's just a, you know, virgin living in his mother's basement. 
I'm going to go on a limb and say probably not, but um, who knows? <laughs> maybe <laughs> Dean Ambrose did say he was going to expose him, so maybe the next next week <laughs> Dean Ambrose will break into his or John Moxley will break into MJF's mom's basement and prove that this is where can he MJF can he punch her? I, I don't believe in male-to-women violence, but can he punch his mom in the face and, like, bust her nose in it? Well, I mean, I, I guess he could. Yeah, he could do that. But, I mean, he's not supposed to be a heel. <laughs> he's just crazy. Uh, he could no, Everyone will love him. Fire. <laughs> Steal her purse. Steal her purse. <laughs> yeah. Tell him he smells like the inside of his own mom's purse. His own mom's first. All right, so we had the uh, Lucha Bros, the Butcher and the Blade, and the Candlestick Maker. I gotta stop making that joke. It's not funny. It never was. Uh, against the Natural Nightmares and Jurassic Express. Um, this was basically it, it. It seemed just like Jungle Boy selling for almost the majority of the fucking match, getting his ass kicked by each member of the Butcher, the Blade, Phoenix, and Pentagon. And finally, when he got, I believe. It was Dustin, and Dustin switched spots, and then he was selling for a majority of the match. So we had QT and and, and uh, Dragon Man, I mean uh, Luchasaurus, uh, um, like, you know, just waiting to get that tag in finally. And a lot of, all of a sudden they would start brawling. Uh, you know, they had the spot where uh, Luchasaurus gets in and he just does spin kicks. You know, I really, I used to like that spot, and it's not that I don't think you should do it anymore, but... He's got to make it more fluid because sometimes he nails it and it's awesome and it's like the sequence just comes off like he's beat, he's fighting people and other times it looks like he's throwing really slow kicks. So that's just, uh, you know, I really like Luchasaurus and little nitpick thing uh, there um, with it. But, you know, QT Marshall got the show off, the diamond cutter that he did for the first time that he got from DDP and no one said it on commentary. I was like... All right, well, I guess no one gave them a cue because, you know, that was a big deal with DDP, you know, putting on to his his fellow Jersey man, uh, you know, giving him the uh, diamond cutter and, and stuff. But, hey, whatever. It doesn't really matter. It wasn't about that. But we would have the end of the match. Luchasaurus tags in, and the 270-pound mass uh, monster starts unleashing hell on anything that moves until a number uh, numbers game advantage from the Lucha Bros slows down his momentum. Tags in Jungle Boy, and they do the same thing to him and are firmly back in control of the contest. We see some more in fighting now with the heel side of the ring. The Butcher and the Blade argue with the Lucha Bros. After uh, Pentagon pushes the Blade over, who's a, the uh, legal man, he gets rolled up uh, by Jungle Boy for a one, two, three. And, uh, you know, then they're about to get in a fight between the two of them. And strange enough, it's Eddie Kingston that breaks this whole entire thing up. And he kind of just puts some knowledge in the ring. You know, apparently he has a history with all these guys, which makes sense. They've kind of came from a lot of the same federations. Eddie obviously knows uh, the Lucha Brothers from his time in Impact and probably before and also MLW. And he's he's good. He's best friends with um, I forgot what the guy's name is. Ali's husband, who plays the Blade. Uh, Braxton Sutters, I think is his name. Um, so he kind of hypes all of them. He's like, what the fuck are we fighting? Like, you know, we should be dominating together. We should be, think about who the hell you guys are. Think about what you guys were back in the independence before AEW. Like, what the fuck's happened? And since, you know, Pac's over in England, 
They haven't let him go, like kind of like what they do at B Priestley, because they can't get him over here for matches. But he's over there, so they can't do that black trio or diamond or whatever the fuck it was called with uh, Pentagon and Phoenix. But now we have this relationship apparently with Eddie Kingston, and it looks like he's going to be kind of like, I'm sure he's going to wrestle, but like more of the mouthpiece and the manager for these guys of dudes that have had each other's backs in the past while climbing the ranks in wrestling. And I like it when he gets them all to come in for a hug. He's just looking at the camera and he smiles like, so he's going to manipulate these guys and get them to fucking do his bidding. So, yeah, we do have another faction, which is kind of like, and especially the ending of this, it really puts a, another faction on the map that was already there, but, you know, even a bigger sense. So there is a lot of different factions, but I don't know. I, I think that one particular babyface faction is uh, splitting down the middle right now. So I, I don't mind it, and I'm just kind of curious of what direction they were going to go in. I would have thought it would have been cool. I didn't know he I, – I had a research afterwards. Um, I didn't know he had a relationship with Brax Stutters Alley and, and uh, um, Andy – god dang it. The bassist from Every Time I Die, that's the, the, the butcher. I forgot what his name is. But um, he does. But it would have been cool if he was just there for Pentagon and Phoenix and he you know, basically tells them to trash those guys and he was their manager. But they're going for something bigger, Chris. What do you think about all this? Does it interest you at all? It is interesting. Um, I hope that they're just not like a mid-card faction. Seems kind of like where they're going to be positioned, especially if they're pushing Brody Lee, right? Uh, so they're going to be the second. There's three heel factions on the show. Four, if you include what Tully's doing. And there's one babyface faction, I guess, which would be, I guess, it, uh, the Elite which at this point is just kind of Kenny and the Young Bucks. And they're not doing well, as would happen later on. Yeah, so, I I mean, from that, I, I'm not ready to condemn anything yet, but they do have a lot of, let's say, pots on the fire with all of these factions. And they're not, it's not split as well as it was in New Japan, say, circa 2016, where you have a, a huge babyface faction and then multiple heel factions um, because they're actively... At least they actively seem like they're turning the Nightmare Family heel to some extent, or at least the head of the Nightmare Family, Cody Rhodes. Yeah, it definitely seems like the two babyface factions they have, the Elite, Adam Page doesn't really want anything to do with them anymore. Cody's got the Nightmare Family, so he's more invested in that. Kenny's going fucking crazy and beating the hell out of people for no reason afterwards and wanting to kill them. Uh, and the Young Bucks are, are kind of by themselves going, what the fuck's going on? And then the Nightmare family just got taken out, and we all have those rumors that Cody's going to be forming this group with. But I, that I, I don't even know is it was there to throw us off originally or if that's actually happening, but they're in shambles regardless by the end of this episode. So three, three and now a fourth dominating heel factions and two disintegrating babyface factions. I mean, I think the one positive thing you could come out of this is if the, you keep the Young Bucks babyface and they have a ton of different tag teams they have to face, they somehow walk away with the tag titles. Um, very true. It, it does make them very sympathetic. I just don't know what you're doing with the rest of your, like with your t TV title, your mid-card championship, so to speak, and then the heavyweight picture. I guess Moxley will also have to run through all these guys in theory if he gets past MJF. 
I guess so. But stunners for everyone, if you will. Well, yeah. now we actually have an established Vince McMahon-like character. So he's got the TNT belt. He just moves around like Bruiser Brody. That's kind of a scary combination now that they're doing it right, finally. Uh, yeah, I mean, they took a, a long-ass time to kind of get there after he lost to Cody. I think maybe they pushed that feud too soon, honestly. You mean you mean Moxley? Yeah, Moxley. Brody? Sorry, not Cody. Yeah. Having him lose to him right off the bat is probably not what I would have done. I mean, obviously, it hasn't hurt them. I wish they would show more of the stuff for being the elite with Brody, berating these fucking guys that are in the Dark Order. That would be uh, the only thing I'd really say about their faction that's been kind of a down, a downer for me. Because if you go and watch any of the clips from being the elite with them, those have been pretty entertaining. Yep, I agree. Another thing that's entertaining is Miss Britt Baker. Um, she is in a, she's at the gym, I think. And her and Reba are just like hanging out. And she, right next to her is Kip Sabian, Penelope Ford. And she mentions the fact that uh, kissing causes, I, don't, I guess, tooth decay. I don't remember what the fuck she said. She's a dentist. She knows what she's talking about. Anyways, so she offers, she offers Penelope, you know, uh, some dentistry work if she helps her out. Because Big Swole gave her the option to make the stipulation for the match. And she was thinking, well, fuck it. We'll just do a two out, you know, a uh, handicap match against Big Swole, me and someone else at, at an all out, which I think is going to be reversed or something's going to happen. Maybe Big Swole beats the shit out of Penelope before him, but whatever. Penelope's like, nah, I'm good. And then she offers Reba to do her makeup for the rest of the year. So then Penelope uh, says yes. And that was the first time Kip Sabian's been on TV in about three months. Uh, but seriously, <laughs> Penelope Ford and um, and Britt Baker against Big Swole at All Out. How do you think that's going to work out? I I like that a heel actually tried to make a match and advantage for themselves, especially if we go back to what was it Raw a few weeks ago, where Ziggler is like creating the stipulation. And he's like, I'll give it, I'll give you a hardcore match. And it's like, why, why? How does that help you? <laughs> Remember that that shit. So yeah, least... it was, it was Dolph uh, could do whatever he wants. He had hardcore stipulations, and Drew did not. When he should have just banned his claymore, which is the thing that knocked him out a million times. Yeah, or or just said it's me and the entire rest of the roster versus you, and if you get pinned, I win. <laughs> there you go. I mean, so for a heel to at least, you know, stack the deck a little bit, that could make Big Swole look really good if she wins the match. And also, it gives you an out if you decide you don't want her to win the match, right? So I actually like this a lot. I think this is kind of nifty booking. Britt Baker continuing to be a great heel on the product, I would say. Have to agree. And she's, been, to agree. And she's been injured this whole entire time, you know, remember. <laughs> Yeah, that is a good point. She's been a great heel by not even being in the ring. <laughs> so, it's awesome. Good stuff all around. I liked this a lot. All right, so we have a segment with Tony Schiavone talking to Orange Cassidy about his win against Le Champion, Chris Jericho, the week previous. Before Orange Cassidy could really say anything, Chris Jericho comes out. 
he's uh he looks a bit you know like maybe he's been up hasn't been sleeping maybe been drinking a little bit too much of the bubbly he's got a bottle of bubbly in his hand and he uh he tells freshly squeeze that you know you you did it you beat me you got it that's fine but you know i realized something we have one win with me against you and we have a win with you against me so we have to have a rubber match and his proposal chris was a match basically a normal match that you have so it's pin submission all the nine whole nine years maybe, maybe it's no holds barred i don't know if there's gonna be a fucking count out because of the third stipulation but then since he's orange juice you know he's orange cassidy since he's the orange juice and Chris Jericho made champagne so popular, they're going to have a Mimosa Mayhem uh, fight. What is it called again? Hold on. God damn it. <laughs> I have I, ma- I, Mimosa ma- Mayhem match in which, like, normal rules or you have to throw them in this giant vat of a crap ton of champagne and uh orange juice and even though the best friends are in there tony's in there uh all of a sudden chris jericho calls the troops in they all have bottles of champagne they all surround the ring they all jump inside the ring beat the crap out of the best friends take orange cassidy and basically waterboard him with champagne which could not be between going down your nose and just having it pour in your mouth you probably got a buzz for one thing and two, that has to be fucking uncomfortable as shit. So waterboarding using champagne, they should try that. That sounds like a really like rich way of torturing someone. Um, <laughs> what the fuck is this stipulation? I, I just feel, and I said this to you in the chat, are you now just, just, just fucking with, like, it, who cares about anything else? Like, I'm just fucking with fucking Cornette now. Like, let's just do the dumbest thing possible because – this sounds like something Vince Russo would book in WCW. This is dumb. Where is I mean, our Chris Jericho? That's <laughs> a badass. Where, like when he first came in, where? Oh, God damn it! <coughs> I'm done. Well, I mean, they're pushing him more as a, a more of a comical act right now. You know, he's got a little bit of edge to him, but they've they've moved past Jericho at this point to try to build their. The top of their division around younger stars. Um, I, I don't have a huge problem with it. It, it should be a fun match. I liked their last match quite a bit. So uh, my guess is Jericho ends up in this vat of orange juice and champagne, and we get to see great Jericho reaction after that. You make me want to cry sometimes. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> Because you're okay with this, I just don't get it. This is this is this is Judy Bagwell on a pole. This is dumb. This is this is literally like him just not really caring about AEW and trying to have a pissing contest with his old buddy from fucking Smoky Mountain. That's it my. Could be, it could be that, or they could just go out and have the same match that they had the previous week, and then it's pinfall or submission still, and then at the end of it they throw him into the vat. You know what I mean? Like I, so I, I'll wait. It's not the greatest thing I've ever seen. I get the joke. Um, oh, I get the joke. It's it's kind of on the nose. <laughs> so 
It's it's whatever. It's it's <laughs> definitely not the thing I'm looking the most forward to in the upcoming weeks. I, I'm also just saying, and I like Orange Cassidy. I think Orange Cassidy has done something that a lot of wrestlers have done, and it's be, a lot of it's because of Chris Jericho. He's not someone, and Jericho said this, that a lot of people saw as a main eventer. And now you've built him in his popularity. You know, he's kind of someone now that you're taking serious much more because of this feud. I just think that at the end of it, it's like Jericho's just trying to outdo the craziest fucking thing. And anything that someone were to complain about, he's like, you know what? Mimosas. So it's fine. It'll be good. I hope his next target might be someone like Jungle Boy, where we can really get him fleshed out. Because I know that is – it's Jericho and Cody's biggest – thing right now is is trying to get the other the other bigger characters uh you know give them life so i i appreciate that i do i and i like like i said i like orange cassidy he's fun he's very different and he's not like it like i said he's not like an underdog like a like a daniel bryan or something like that he's just someone that people doubted could be to a level which i think that he is going to achieve now and that's because of jericho yeah, and I mean, what else do we get out? Like, what are we? I mean, I'm assuming there's going to be a. It's going to be a whole clusterfuck, right? Because the best friends are still feuding with Pride and Powerful. Yep. So I mean, they're they're at least building storylines around this. I tend to agree with you. I mean, I thought once Orange Cassidy got the win, they would just move on to something else. Um, but this is apparently going to be the blow off. I, I don't yep. know. Do you think they'll be celebrating with mimosas after this? Of a job well done. Sweaty baby oil mimosas when someone gets tossed in that thing? Oh, God, that's so gross. I don't know that I would be in lots for of, that. Buy lots of Tanner from Jericho. Uh, <laughs> but, all right, so, yeah, that's that's what they're doing with that. Um, but, yeah, I, the upside is, once, especially, like, and I might not be the biggest best friends fan, but I'm not saying that in, in, in this sense with Orange Cassidy. But once there, he's by himself. I think he's gonna build himself into a pretty big name. And you know, there's been guys in the past in a very, very different way. And he's one of my favorites. And I, and I just tend to give a little shout out to him that no one fucking thought that Diamond Dallas Page was gonna become one of the prime players of fucking WCW Nitro when they were at their peak. So it just took him believing in it and a couple guys that liked him, like Macho Man and other wrestlers, and then the rest is history, man. He went from being kind of like a, a male stripper with a, an abusive male stripper to his girlfriend. I don't remember. Those Those were weird times. He was fighting fucking uh, Little Richard, but Mark Marrow. It wasn't Little Richard. It was Mark Marrow. But, um, Johnny, Johnny, be good. Johnny, be good. There you go. But then, you know, it, it, straight up, DDP when he told, um, when he told Dusty and also Michael PSAs that he was going to start, uh, you know, really trying wrestling, and this was when he was like, I think, I want to say like 35. They both started laughing in his face, and I think he did pretty well for himself. So in the concept, very different with an Orange Cassidy. But I'm sure a lot of people were like, there's no way this guy would ever be taken seriously on television. And he's doing that. And I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and I don't think that he's going to be someone that's going to be 
at the top of the card going for the heavyweight title or anything. This is just a good way to get him over and have a good mid card. Jericho is, is, is a top guy, you know, he was the first champion. He was Le champion. I, I get that, but I think this is more building up someone that you can have as a great mid card wrestler. And if I had to compare it to something would be hurricane Helms, Shane Helms okay. is the hurricane where Go you're a that. huge name. You sell a ton of merch you're always a big part of the mid card, but you're never like the guy. You can get in there and mix it up with people, and maybe even get a win here and there. But I, I don't think that the, the end goal is to make Orange Cassidy, even if he beats Jericho. I mean, I don't think the end goal. Anyone can look at Orange Cassidy and go, okay, this is who we're gonna put the title on. But could you see that for someone who's a well, maybe it's not even size. Maybe it's his gimmick and the ridiculous nature of it. But I. Maybe assuming it's size, uh, could you see someone like a Jungle Boy or Sammy Guevara or anyone their size getting the title eventually? Like within the next, if the company sticks around for the next ten years, or some shit, you know? I mean, I would I would have to say yeah, because I, I think Darby Allen will eventually get the belt. Oh, but it's just not, yeah, yeah. And Orange Cassidy's gimmick is just it just lends itself to you have a ceiling with that. Regardless on how high hard you get it over, because so they're it, trying. It's the hurricane. You're you're literally talking about the character of the hurricane. Correct. Where you can be a huge name and have lots of fans and sell lots of merch and stuff. But you're a superhero. I, just, I don't know that it's viable. <laughs> you know, the Orange Cassidy character is viable. Like, are you going to put him in there against like Brian Cage? There's so there's only so much you can do with him with Jericho. Because Jericho is naturally goofy and has done this character for so long, or different aspects of this character for so many yep. years, it doesn't hurt Jericho. But you can't have him go in there and do this shit with like Brody Lee, or have him go in and do this shit with Brian Cage or or John Moxley. Um, so it kind of just leans itself to being something more like a, a Hurricane Helms, where you can be this great mid card wrestler, a good act, someone that's fun that people want to pay and go see. But that's kind of where I see it. So I, I don't have a huge problem with this. So the opposite of Eugene. The opposite of Eugene, yes. God, that does not age well at all. Um, did you hear uh, pretty cool stuff involving AEW? Um, Kenta uh, on the uh, New Japan um, show, the one that's getting filmed over here, whatever it's called, with all the American New Japan wrestlers that can't obviously go back over there. Um Kenta, I think, won a tournament, and he called out John Moxley for the U.S. belt. So, looks like we might be having that match in the future. Probably, I'm assuming Moxley's going to lose to Kenta, though. Which is weird, because he's the AEW champion at the same time. Unless they do it after he loses to MJF, if he does, at All Out. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that could be the route that they're going, is that he is dropping the title to MJF. I, I would assume that he's going to have to drop the title or be stripped of it from New Japan. Yep. Well, they have that American version with Tomatonga and a lot of other dudes that are over here. I think it's called Strong Style. I don't know what the fuck Nerva is. And I mean, that's that's like all it's mostly people from Shibata's dojo here in America, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So I'm sure that I haven't gotten a chance to check check that out. The only match I saw saw from that was the Filthy Tom match that happened a few. I guess it was about almost a month ago now. But that was the only one I've really had a chance to check out. And then I think I saw one Rocky Romero match. 
um, after that. But I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch one of their whole shows yet. Yeah, I, I haven't either. It's a lot of wrestling out there. And especially, like, when I found out that it wasn't going to be, like, like that's cool and all, but, I mean, I want to see Minoru Suzuki and, and Kota Ibushi and Nokata and shit. Like, sorry, like, I love Tama Tonga and, like, a couple guys that are over here. I, I guess Kenta lives here. I didn't realize that, but, you know, if you're not going to have, like, any of the uh, the big guys from Japan, then just do, like, a tournament between, like, all the American people and the guys coming out of the dojo in, in L.A., you know, I'm just not as uh, thrilled about that. Is that, is that bad? It's maybe a bad person, Chris. No, I mean, I don't think it's bad, but I, I think people have to keep in mind, we also have Impact, Ring of Honor, MLW, Yep. Um, there's so much shit out there to watch, and that doesn't even include what does come out of New Japan and what's came out of New Japan recently, the actual Japan product. You have to pick and choose some at some point with this stuff. Yep, I agree. All right, well, let's move on uh, to the next match. We had the Dark Order going against the Elite. Uh, the Dark Order members, John Silver and Alex Reynolds, who's a uh, tag team, uh, and also Alan Angels. Other known, or otherwise known as three, four, and five, from the Dark Order, we're going against Kenny and the Bucks, and this is a good match. Like I said, I, it's nothing against Alex Reynolds, but I just think I'm, I've got a, like a uh, soft spot for Alan Angels. I think that he's very athletic, and he's, a, a, you know, ex Atlanta rap rapper, ex Atlanta wrestler, and. John Silver is also a really good in-ring hand, I've realized, uh, not too long ago. But uh, this is a, a good match. Uh, you know, it's 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 weird to have these three members of, of the Dark Order being able to take on and, and put issue to the Elite. But it would definitely piss off Kenny in the end. Because at the end of it, they do the, I don't know if it's like the Super Duper Meltzer Driver. It's the one that Kenny's added to it. And then Kenny put him up. Really cool, took him up like a power bomb and then switched his weight over on the other side and put him over in the one-wing angel. And then just starts beating the shit out of Alan Angels. Just starts wailing on him. And, you know, he's not able to do shit about it. And Bucks don't realize, because I think Nick was over off the ramp, like, nursing an injury, and Matt wasn't paying attention to him. And then he goes to grab a chair, and before he can fucking do something... Matt stops him, and it's like, Kenny, what's your problem? He's like, no, 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 I need to do this, and, like, getting really physical about it, and they finally calm him down, but Kenny's going off the fucking rocker, man, which is awesome. What'd you think? Yeah, Kenny going off the rocker is fucking great. Um, I thought the match itself was decent. There, It, it wasn't, I mean... I feel like I see the Bucks and, and Kenny in a three-way match every other, like in a, I know. a three versus three match every other week. Too much. Um, so that would be the only downside. But I, it continues storylines, I guess, with them and in the Dark Order and what they have going on. Uh, but outside of that, Kenny snapping is the biggest highlight to take out of this match. The more and more he does it, the, the more interested I become in Kenny Omega again because him just as a tag team guy and Michael... Uh, Nak- is it Nakazawa's friend or whatever they've done with him thus far hasn't worked. So hopefully a snapped version of Kenny Omega will get him back to where he was, you know, a year and a half ago. We can only hope. We can only hope. All right. So backstage with FTR, Tully Blanchard, 
Uh, and Alex Marvez, he's talking to them, and they're involved basically with Tully Blanchard. And before they can really say anything too much into it, Alex or uh, Hangman comes in. He's pissed off. He's like, what the fuck happened last week with the Rock and Roll Express? And they're like, calm down, calm down, calm down. You know, here you go. Do you need a drink? And he's like, well, I have some. And they, he, of course, gulps it down real quick. And they give him a beer. And they explain to him that the Rock and Roll Express turned their backs on them. And they push Tully, who was associated with them. And they have been for a while. So since they, they, they had problems with him, they had, since they had problems with Tully, they had problems with FTR. And uh, basically, that was the gist of it. And it kind of comes down to, hey, just calm down. You know, we want to be a part of this tag. They're having a a, uh, a tag tournament or um, what is it? It's it, it's not a tag tournament. Basically, like they're the number the num number one rank. So one tag team has to go against. It's like the fourth has to go against the third. And they have to go against the second. Whoever wins that goes against them. And then whoever wins that match goes against the Young Bucks. Or not the Young Bucks. <laughs> That's how weird it is that the Young Bucks don't have the titles. Uh, against Kenny and, and, and Hangman Page. And they said that they want this to be about them fighting who they think is one of the best wrestlers in Adam Page. So I'm just telling you, man, you know, I know I'm the one who said this for the longest time. But I just don't. Maybe they got doubtful about it. Maybe they will do it, but it will be a shorter term. I don't know if Cody's going to be that guy. It seems like Cody and Arn might be staying babyface from what they did with the, you know, the Rock and Roll Express uh, the week prior to this. I could see us all thinking that, and who would come out of nowhere? A guy that has rivaled with the revival. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying talked as much shit as the Bucks did. Back in the day, uh, a guy that's tag team partners with Hangman Page and a guy that doesn't like Cody that or has not liked Cody at different times. And just maybe it's not Cody. And like I've said this to you, Chris, I really think that it might be Kenny. I think he's going to fuck over Page and it, the revival are leading in Page to th be their buddy, but they're going to fuck him over. Unfortunately, that means we all, we all know who the fourth person is, but I'll get over that eventually. And then hopefully they kick him out when they get uh, Ethan Page to come over, and then he can join the group. And then MJF eventually can kick out Kenny, and then that will be the, the main thing. That's what I would do. Or it's Cody. Or I need to stop drinking caffeine at nighttime. Just cut me off, man. Just, jeez, shut me the fuck <laughs> up. I mean, I've always thought it would either probably be Cody or, or not Cody or Kenny or um, Kenny or Adam Page. The only thing with Adam Page is I thought they were going to be using him um, to cost him the title, and then whatever I think factions, they are. whatever faction spun off of that thing would either have Kenny, Kenny or Cody. Just because I don't see them turning Hangman heel, I just don't see it. So. I mean, he's obviously going to be pissed off at these people. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, yeah, both of those choices, both of those options are good. Um, uh, do you see the last of the elite kind of band together in a 4v4 kind of thing where it's, it is Cody? It's Cody and Arn, uh, the Young Bucks, and um, Hangman coming back into the fold, being like, hey, I was wrong kind of thing. 
I need you guys' help. I think there's a lot of cool things they can do out of this. But that's the great part about what they've done with this storyline is it is intriguing. It's not black and white as far as what they're going to do. And either way, we're going to get some good-ass fucking tag matches out of it. And potentially... Great storylines that might have been done beforehand, but still will are old enough to to do well today. I guess you could say. Exactly. So what whatever route they go with, I don't think there's a um, a way they can fuck this one up. Honestly, I say that about WWE, and then I immediately take it back. But I, <laughs> I feel like this one is going to be really hard to fuck up, but just because they have so many great wrestlers involved in it, regardless of who they pick, is. The, the rest of the members of Tully's faction. Tully's so awesome. I'm glad that he's just going full heel with this shit, too. It's great. All right. <clears throat> so we had Darby Allen having a match with Will Hobbs. I've seen Will on Dark a couple times uh, on AEW Dark. And really impressive looking dude. He's a big guy. I, I think that, you know, potentially he will get signed probably to the company since he's made so many appearances. And this is the first one, I, I believe, on cable, but a lot of upside to him. He was definitely getting pointed out by JR and, uh, and uh, Taz throughout that match. But uh, Darby Allen attacks him immediately. He just goes to town. Uh, then he gets his ass kicked a good bit throughout some of this match. I mean, at the end of it, Hobbs uh, now completely takes over on offense while the announcers point out that new AEW official Michael Kyoto is a referee for the match after making his uh, All Elite Wrestling debut last week. Uh, Allen is shown showing signs of life after an extended offense run by Hobbs, and out of nowhere, Allen turns the tide and heads to the top rope. He leads off with a coffin drop and pins Hobbs for the victory. Uh, afterwards, Taz Taz gets up. You you little son of a bitch, you creep. Uh, a very aggressive New Yorker. And starts calling out Darby Allen, saying that they have their third member now in in his group, which is another group technically, another little heel group, um, Taz's group. And uh, it's it's Ricky Starks. He comes out and he's got like, you know, the Darby Allen thing going on, and he says something about like, I don't understand my life because I'm always in darkness, and he's got like I am emo on him, and then he comes in. He distracts Darby Allen. Brian Cage comes up from behind, knocks him with the FTR or FDW chat or God damn it. Knocks him with the belt. And, you know, Taz is just talking shit more. He starts laughing. You know, I love that, that, that Tony, what did he say? Tony at one part goes like, while Taz is still talking, he goes to JR and he goes, that's Ricky Starks. And JR goes, no, no kidding, Tony. No kidding, Tony. Like, are you fucking kidding me? It was, it was pretty <laughs> funny. It was the stuff that goes great between them. But this turns into a beatdown. Ricky Starks cuts a pretty good promo, and that's what they're setting up is that, you know, Ricky wants some redemption after getting his back scraped the fuck up, and I think the two of them will have a good match, man. They're two pretty agile gentlemen, and uh, even though I really liked Ricky Starks as a babyface in NWA, I'm – I'm liking his addition to this group. I just feel like Brian Cage is kind of like how Bobby Lashley is on Raw. You know what I'm saying? Like, just irrelevant right now <laughs> uh, in a group of dudes where he should be, like, the main focus. But because he, he had the problem with Darby to begin with. Like, whatever. It doesn't matter. But this should be good. I like this whole segment. I like the match. What would you think? 
I would have a bigger problem with the way they're utilizing Brian Cage if it wasn't that they're actually just trying to protect the guy. Because they can't have him feud with Darby Allen, right? Because eventually the babyface needs to win there with Darby Allen. And having Darby Allen beat Brian Cage is probably not the best thing you could do for Brian Cage right now. Um, so I don't have a huge problem with it. The only thing about Ricky Starks is he almost killed a bunch of people last time I saw him in a match. That, <laughs> Well, one, that kick he put on Darby Allen, and then in that match itself, like there was a lot of clusterfuck that happened around him. Well, actually, him and Brian Cage both. Um, yeah. Well, actually, I would I should say everyone in the match except for Moxley, because Moxley was the only one not doing anything fucking crazy in that tag match that they had. But uh, I whatever. Did you ever I think mean, you'd say that. <laughs> well, <laughs> Moxley's pretty good in the ring, man. He doesn't he doesn't do a lot of unnecessary shit, and he seems to take care of his opponents for the most part, even when he was in CZW. Now that's fucking crazy to think about. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know, man. It's it's fine. They're just kind of an afterthought until they start giving Brian Cage more wins, especially because he just. I mean, he just lost to Moxley. He got to rebuild the guy. They have like a, they have a lot of wrestlers they're trying to build all at the same time. That's my only worry about AEW. You can't get everybody over. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's just it's still though kind of like what if Goldberg lost his first match? That's Kind of the way that I see it sometimes. Well, Brian Cage had three, what, three or four wins on TV. Plus, he won that light ladder match with a ton of good athletes in the thing. So it's just he lost his first title match for sure. Tomato tamale. Tomato tamale. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. Would it would it have been the right time to take it off John Moxley if the next feud was going to be MJF? No, it wouldn't have. But yeah. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have put Cage against the title then if that was the the case I would have kind of kept him away from it until we had a spot to put him in there instead of rushing him like he he came in and and was the mystery opponent into something to get him a title shot probably could have waited and just stacked up some wins for a minute you know that's all I'm saying or even the TNT yeah. title yeah yeah but are you gonna take do you take that off Cody well. No, but I guess it's feasible now, now that I think about it. Uh, we'll, that's, we'll, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's more of the problem is that, you, I mean, they they still are just now getting back to building Brody Lee. I, I, they have so many people they've introduced, including a new one this week with, uh, God, we just talked about him earlier. The guy that just wrestled Cody, who started a faction. Why can I not, why am I blanking on Eddie his name Kingston. now? Eddie Kingston, um, Zack Ryder just came in, had one match, and now is gone. Whoa, yeah, dude, where the fuck has Matt Cardona been? <laughs> so you can only you have you only have two hours to make this shit work. <laughs> they need that second show. That's what, exactly <laughs> what it is. Or yeah, they, yeah. Anyways, but um, we had a segment with uh, Sammy Guevara. He does this thing where he usually does a picture on picture. And I was watching the Fightful version, so I'm watching in between the break. I saw the whole entire thing happen. But if you're anyone that's that I, – I don't think that they intended on this, but it has watched Dynamite for a while, this is something where you might be like, oh, Sammy's doing his little fucking car things. I'm going to pay attention to this. 
I'm sure there is a good chunk of people that do that because he does it every week. And it's all talking shit about Matt Hardy. And then out of nowhere, the pages look different. The writing looks different. There's red highlights. It makes it look all crazy looking. And it's basically saying, like, you know, I'm going to get destroyed. I will be. And then he has the last one. And someone out in the audience was pointing to him. And he's like, he, he looks at it. And he's, he reads deleted. And then he gets all scared. And then Matt Hardy is fucking demolishing him with a chair immediately. Getting some of that receipt. Um, just hitting him in the back. Hits him a bunch of times. And then we come back from break. And they're, 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 they're breaking down what just happened. Uh, and you see Matt Hardy hit him a couple more times with a chair and just fucking toss his ass. And the way Sammy is so amazing with his body because it's like AJ almost like the, the way that he can make himself move a certain way that make sure that it's safe with his landing of going through these fucking tables as fast as he is. Uh, it's just nuts, but he just gets demolished and Matt grabs one of the tables that he threw at him, the one of the padded ones that are more like the metal sticker, and they're just like a heavier, ta- uh, heavier uh, chair in general. I meant chair, sorry. Um, and he's about to, you know, do something with it, and they stop him, and they he basically says that he's he has to murder him. He's he's going to murder him. So Matt Hardy's uh he's not broken Matt Hardy. He's not woken Matt Hardy. He's not Hardy 2.0. He's not Damascus, but he's pissed off and he's fucking a little bit out of his mind and he wants to hurt Sammy. What do you think? Uh, this was awesome. I like this a lot. Um, it's good to see this version of Matt Hardy. He did say that he is, uh, he wasn't going to be doing the multiple gimmicks anymore. So I want to know what they're going to be doing when he actually has a chance to talk again. But as far as just like a straight beat down, continuing a feud, Hell yeah, I'm excited to see what they do, um, specifically in the ring, how that match is going to work out. But I'm sure it'll be pretty fucking great. But yeah, I'm I'm very excited for all of this. Yeah, man, uh, me too. I I completely agree with you. I, I I think Sammy is so damn talented as far as wrestling goes, and just like I said, what he's able to do with his body, but. He's also got personality for days, too. And the fact that he's learning from a heel that kind of had that same type of persona, he's learning a lot of in and outs, along with learning new shit in the ring. You know, working with Matt Hardy in this, I think this is a good thing for both guys. And I, I don't know, man. I, I just think that Matt Hardy, he could use someone like Sammy to kind of get him up a bit. And I think Sammy could use Matt Hardy to give him some knowledge. Have to agree with you there. I mean, I, I'm just glad that hopefully they've worked out the obvious fuck up that happened with Matt Hardy. Hopefully they're past that and they go on to have a great match and they can both look back on this shit and laugh and say, hey, we had a really good promo after you busted my head open. <laughs> and then they were friends. The end. All right. So we had the uh, AEW Deadly Draw Finals, the Nightmare Sisters. Ali and Brandy going against Ivelisse and Diamante, uh, who have in the past been rivals and also tag teams um, within, I think, CMLL and, and uh, AAA and stuff like that. Um, but this wasn't a bad match. 
it was cool to see uh, uh, Shaw Guerrero um, start off the the uh, the thing uh, as the announcer. That was kind of nice. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the it, I I didn't know what was gonna happen, Chris. I I was under the impression that there was a good chance the Nightmare Sisters might win, but I was wrong. I judged, and Evil East and Diamante ended up winning. Uh, they celebrated. I'm glad it seems like Ivelisse is really going to be with the company. Like I said, I really, really, really liked her on Lucha Underground. She reminds me of Lita a lot. Um, and Diamante is someone they've been pushing for a while on Dark. So it's interesting. Uh, but, you know, uh, the Nightmare Sisters did not win. And it looks like Brandy, I don't know, I, I could see her taking Ali's head off very soon in the future. What do you think? It's good to see them follow up on uh, Ivelisse and Diamante, giving them a strong win here, especially because the Nightmare Family storyline, or the Nightmare Sisters in general, it's been a rocky road to begin with. So I'm assuming they're just going to follow through with that feud, right? Exactly. And if that's the case, it doesn't make sense to uh, take a little bit of the steam out of the engine that Ivelisse and Diamante have going for them right now because they've kind of been booking them pretty strong so far. Um, and it's good to see that. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with it. Once they get past this tag stuff, I don't know what they're going to do. Unless they're going to introduce tag belts. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I'm assuming they're just going to go singles, maybe be a unit and have each other's back. And eventually one, fucks up and then they go back into their feud um but then again that's asking a lot um i don't know i'm just happy they're there you know me me too and this match itself was pretty good i didn't actually talk about the match itself but i thought the match itself was oh the match was good probably one of the better brandy Rhodes matches i've seen i have to agree with you yes all right so the final match man Let's talk about it. Did not see this happening. Um, so, sorry, just uh, I shouldn't have watched Raw at the same time as this. I just got completely blindsided by something that happened. Anyways, but this is also something that blindsided me beforehand when we're talking about AEW, Dane. Uh, we had Mr. Brody Lee. Um, have his match with Cody, and we were, we were wondering about this, like, you know, uh, with uh, Scorpio Sky, it kind of, it would have made sense, if he got that win, it would have been like, okay, this is a good person to do it to. So first time I thought that. But Brody Lee, I'm like, god damn, I'm like, I mean, you would think that it's probably going to be Cody, but Brody Lee needs this win, and he fucking already lost to Moxley for one of the titles. Ah, this he could get it, and he fucking did. And not only did he did he get it, he kicked the shit out of Cody. Cody came in first with a flurry of offense and had the better of Brody for a couple minutes, and then the rest of the match was Brody just dominating and destroying Cody and power bombing him and getting him up and just you know until he had nothing. And at the end, Cody sold a great. Um, what you gonna call it? Clothesline, uh, the rotating clothesline that uh, 
that that Brody does. And he even had a, a thing where, you know, like I said, it's like he's channeled this Vince McMahon. I always say kind of uh, Daniel Plainview like type of hybrid character, but definitely very heavy on the Vince McMahon isms. Uh, but he's got that that craziness and the look of Bruiser Brody. And at the beginning, he fucking threw him out. He's throwing him around outside, tossed him on the cement. He's fucking taking chairs, chucking them. This is the fucking Brody Lee I wanted to see when he first came in. And he fucking annihilated Cody and then fucking took his goddamn belt. And then on the way out, they were, you know, carting Cody off. Brody Lee is getting interviewed by Tony. He starts telling Tony that he's the type of people that held him down and that there will be more, no more held down. You used to think that we are a joke, blah, 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 talking about the Dark Order. And, you know, Tony tries to set what's going on with Cody uh, as, a, you know, to talk about. And Brody tells him to get the hell out of the ring. They go, they grab, um, they grab Arn. They get in the, Arn takes out a couple of them and then they just overwhelm Arn. And Brody kicks him two times in the in the uh, chest, and he's on the ground. There's a great part where they went by him, and he's on the ground just selling. And he's like, "That son of a bitch!" Like it was, it was pretty great. Um, and you know, the thing is with ambulance and stuff like that. At first, when you see those type of things, you're like, "Whoa, did he actually just get like hit? Like just slightly for a second? They got me." Whereas like. Did Cody actually legitimately get hurt? But then you, you realize, all right, no, obviously this is all fucking set up. And because I think JR would be doing a lot more than just commentating what's going on if, if that was the case. Um, when it gets to the point where Cody's on the floor, they go in the back, they grab QT Marshall and, and Dustin's body, just slam them on the floor. And Brandy runs and she's crying and she's, she's saying, you know, don't touch my husband. And then Anna Jay just gets whispered something in her ear. And she fucking destroys Brandy, puts her in a chokehold. Just the Nightmare family is done. They are over with. Cody is taken and kicked off his fucking, um, whatchamacallit, his gurney. Falls on the ground, gets up slowly, and then gets smacked with a, a sack of, we don't know what the hell it is. Then it's pouring all over his body. It's the old TNT title, just in a million of pieces. Uh, and Brody with this giant shit-eating grin and the dark order stand tall for the first time i think ever on this fucking program and they looked dominant and they actually looked like a threat and i was very impressed everyone's pitched or bitching a fit Every, it's, it's so funny everyone was mad that cody was always winning which what the fuck are you gonna do with certain cases um but everyone's mad that cody lost it it's like you can't fucking win with with fans this was this was Cody doing some great booking and getting over a group that it was it was hard for them to get over basically, and I thought this was awesome. So, what do you think, Chris? I tend to agree with you. I think it's uh, it was a little surprising that they just did it on TV, but it is the TV title. So, outside of that, I mean, I liked the match. I liked the outcome of the match. Uh, the Nightmare family, as you said, are in shambles. Where does Cody go from here? I mean, he's you got to think he's going to get a rematch. Um, and they've done a great job. I, I guess I may have had more of a problem with Cody losing if they hadn't done a good job of telling the story of he's been wrestling week in, week out. And he's he been cocky. 
and he's been cocky. So him getting just destroyed here makes sense. He can come back from this stronger and win the title back if they want to go that route. So I had no problem with this. I thought it was uh, pretty good, and they did a good job of pushing the Dark Order. It took them forever to get here, but at least they didn't give up on it. You know, it wasn't like a two-week thing, and they're like, fuck it. <laughs> this isn't working. They put some effort behind it, stuck up, uh, you know, Brody Lee with him coming in, and, and they did a really good job of turning chicken shit into chicken salad based on what we saw with the uh, with the Dark Order off the, off the original introduction of that group. Yeah, I have to agree with you, man. Uh, Brody Lee looks pretty dominant right now, and uh, I'm just I'm I'm very much intrigued and in, in, in liking this. Uh, God, it was it was awesome. He he really did look like Bruiser Brody, like scaring some of the people that were like standing around and grabbing their chairs. He he grabbed some girl's chair, ripped it out of her hands, fucking chucked it like it was it was uh it was. Not really, I mean, it wasn't overly violent or anything like that, but it was like, wow, they're going to have Cody. And at the end of it, where, where JR's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And he's like, I'm not saying this because Brody Lee's not a good competitor. It's Cody got absolutely no offense once uh, Brody started, and it was true. Like, he did right at the beginning, and then Brody kicked the shit out of him, and that was it. It was very ballsy. And Cody can come back because he's got that sting quality about him, but... You know, that was that was a. Do you think that that was at all um, testing the waters? Like, do you think that that was that could have been a bad thing? I think it's working out good with with the audience, but it could have backfired. I mean, potentially, but Cody, you know, Cody is going to get a rematch because he can't go for they haven't came up with a way for him to wrestle for the heavyweight title. So he is stuck here in the TV title land for the unforeseeable future. So I just saw it as, well, now they have a reason to build him up as this baby face who needs to take these strides and get over some of his cockiness or channel channel it into something else, which would be you know him shifting to a different faction. But I think there's a lot of cool things that you can do with coming out of with this. And I don't know if I would call it testing the waters, but it was it was definitely a leap of faith on how people were going to respond to this. But I mean, my response is I want to see what Cody's what Cody has to say about losing the title and what happened to Arn and get that pissed off Cody, you know, headed into the MJF where he was cutting those great uh, the MJF match where he was cutting those great promos. So if anything, it's just going to make you want to watch Cody more. It's a very good point. Very, very good point. Uh, one last thing before we move on from AEW and go over the takeover matches. Um, what did you think about the fact that they announced during this and had her cut a promo that it looks like there's some type of, uh, you know, some type of thing going on between the NWA and AEW to an extent? You know, we've had Ricky Starks go over there. He's. I don't know if he's going to still be working with NWA, but he's able he was able to jump there. Uh, Eddie Kingston. And now their women's champion, Thunder Rosa, challenged Sheeta to a match. Now, some people, because you have to complain. And I mean, it's understandable um, to an extent. You know, Thunder Rosa hasn't been a part of their ranking system. Why does she get a title shot? Fuck it, Thunder Rosa. And she has a goddamn women's NWA heavyweight championship. So we're going to have an inner 
you know, promotional thing on AEW, I'm assuming maybe at All Out, where NWA champion Thunder Rosa will be going against uh, Sheeta, the AEW champion. And I'm really looking forward to that fucking match. And maybe, just maybe, we can see Nick Aldis and Cody finish their feud since they never had the rubber match. Just putting that out there. Eventually. That's a possibility. It was very interesting to see her show up, for sure. Thunder Rosa showing up as a uh, as the NWA female champion. I mean, it is a champion versus champion match, so her skipping the, the ranking system a little bit, I didn't have as huge of a problem with. It was not the same thing as, like, the Dark Order getting a tag shot. Right? Yeah. But I, I could see why people would be upset about it. I, I don't think it's a huge deal. And uh, I don't think that they're going to have Thunder Rosa win, the, win, the, win this belt from Sheeta. I don't. I would be very surprised if that's the route they go. But for them to have a good match together, sure, I'm down for that. That sounds fun. And also, uh, you know, Sheeta in character is just telling anyone to try to fight her at this point. And there's not been a lot of challengers. <laughs> Every one of her promos no. is like, I can kick all of your asses. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely interesting. Definitely uh, excited about it. Um, But let's continue and finish up our show by going over the uh, match on the, uh, you know, WWE NXT TakeOver. Uh, This was held, like I said, at uh, Full Sail. Really, really love the beginning package. What they do for NXT in particular is just awesome. We've already talked about that. But also then they they go to the new uh, single Moth Moth from a Flame uh, from Metallica, and they have the whole arena fireballs coming up and shit like that. So it looked it looked really cool. Um, it just would have looked cool in a larger arena that you already have rented out. You sons of bitches. Um, on the pre-show, we'll go over the the first match, and this was for the number one contenders uh, Triple Threat. And I think that you might have been happy with this, Chris, because it was between Brazongo. Uh, Legato del Fantasma and Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch and Brazongo won. And I think the direction now that they're going in is I think it's possible just because Imperium doesn't it's to no fault of them, you know, especially if they were in NXT UK, it would probably wouldn't would have been better for them. But it just they're they're vanilla right now as a champion. So give it the fucking They've neither one of them, including Tyler Breeze, who's been there fucking forever in NXT before he was in on the main roster. Give them the tag titles and have them competing with uh, the those two members uh, with Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wild until they get the belts from them. I think that actually wouldn't be a bad transition, but it was a good three way. Wasn't really long. And uh, at the end, uh, you know. The Brazongo got the win. It was uh it was pretty good. Uh it honestly had nothing to do that's that's a big claim within this because they get all the Fantasma, they didn't lose the match. I think only Lorkin got pinned by Tyler Breeze, so they can kinda use that. But uh I thought this was good. What'd you think? Yeah, I had no problem with it whatsoever. I thought it was a good opening match. Obviously it at the same time, the FTR match was going on, so I probably should go back and watch it. But it was cool to see Brazingo get a strong 
win in this level of a match, and I hope that feud continues a little longer. Um, Do you yeah. think they'll get those titles? Ah, oh, man. I, I mean, I don't see a reason why they couldn't, but... It's Imperium. Who gives a shit? I don't know for sure, you know. I mean, Imperium's just been dominating, though. Yeah, it is. It, that is true. So I don't know. Uh, I, w- I would have absolutely no problem with it if they went that route. I, it just may be a hard sell, considering this is the first strong win Brazingo's had in a while. Yeah, that's very true. Um, we had a package also during this, uh, before we move on to the actual product, saying that NXT UK is going to be coming on soon. So that's that's good. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to some of the wrestlers, especially Walter, uh, and seeing them wrestle again over there. Still sucks that we never got Finn Balor versus Walter due to the pandemic. I mean, it sucks that we had the pandemic for many other reasons, but I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, definitely looking forward, and also um. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the the crazy Russian dude. If you guys want to see a good match, he went against Walter in um, progress. They had a fucking banger of a match. Ilyanod Dragunov, fucking crazy dude. Anyways, let's let's go to the first match. Oh God, I'm not rambling at all. Kind of tired. Sorry. Finn Balor versus Timothy Thatcher was a pretty awesome match. Uh, everyone kind of counts out Finn Balor's technical work, and I think that. That's what they were kind of pointing to. Commentary wasn't, you know, thinking that he could be in a league to wrestle with Timothy Thatcher. And Timothy Thatcher is a great catch wrestler, but Finn's more than just an aerial artist. He's a good technical wrestler, too. And he went right after Timothy at the beginning of this match. He just brought it to him. It was this is going to be one of those matches, though. This is a Timothy Thatcher style match. There's not going to be a lot of stuff off the rope from Timothy. Obviously, there will be with Finn because that's one of his main primary moves. But it's more about strikes. It's more about, you know, um, grappling and stuff like that. One of my favorite moments in the match was a part where Finn, you know, they did a move and Timothy blocked it uh, and Finn fell and he went right for his knee, the one that Timothy already had been working on. And you saw Timothy just like look at him like a fucking hyena and just pounce on him real quick, put him in the single leg. But. I mean, lots of stretching. That Thatcher gave him a bow and arrow submission. He was just beating the living fuck out of Finn. And then Finn got his his uh, his basically it's it's a it's a scorpion death drop, but he brings up the body and drops with it. That got a two count. Thatcher got him another lock. I think it was the the Kimura. Um, for a minute, he got out of that, and then he got the Coupe de Gras. And did the 1916 DDT for the win. Um, yeah, it, w- it was a good match, man. Um, la- like I said, it's not going to be for everyone, Chris. But if you're into wrestling, I think that you're going to appreciate something like this. And I think Finn being, you know, versatile, he's able to kind of connect it with other wrestling stuff off the ropes and whatnot. That the kids like these days. <laughs> I think my my main complaint is the match could have maybe went a little longer for what they were trying for. This wasn't the best Timothy Thatcher match I've seen. I thought both both guys were good in the match. The match itself was pretty pretty good overall, but it, it wasn't anything that I was super high on. 
not that it was bad or anything. It's just, um, God, who? Do, what was the Timothy Thatcher match like a few weeks ago? Was it against Oni Lorkin? Mm-hmm. Like that match, I thought was better than this match. And and that's not trying to take anything away from either of these guys. It just was. Um, and maybe they told them not to go out and and take too long because it was the first match on the show. But I don't know. I felt like I, I kind of expected a little bit more out of these two guys. Um, but it wasn't a bad match at all. Yep. All right. So the next match, I don't know if it was my favorite match, but it was definitely up there. Uh, you had a ladder match for the vacant NXT North American uh, title match, very much reflecting on the first match for the North American title. But this time it's Damian Priest, Cameron Grimes, Johnny Gargano, Bronson Reed, Velveteen Dream. Um, just like a lot of fun, a lot of different personalities. Kudos to Johnny Gargano for taking some of the fucking spots that he did in this match because we know he just came off of what could have been something really bad by getting dropped on his neck. Um, you know, I was, I, me and you both said this, and I was kind of right. The only other person I thought besides Damian Priest was Cameron Grimes. Um, I think Bronson Reed's, uh, you know, he kind of sealed his fate when uh, he stood tall on the go-home show. So it was really between Grimes and Damian Priest, and they made me think quite a few times Grimes is going to get it. Priest gets it inevitably at the end, but some great fucking spots. Um, I love it. One of them which is more funny is when Cameron Grimes goes to get a ladder un- underneath the uh, the ring, and he pulls out this little teeny ladder, and he looks at Dream for some reason and goes, Did you put that there? Like, I'm going to the moon. Um... But yeah, just there was you, an awesome. Was that a joke on that ladder being younger than all of the other ladders, hence it being shorter? I don't know. <laughs> so stupid. There was a part where um, oh, what the hell was the sequence? Bronson Reed. Oh, Cameron Grimes got fucking racked between the two ladders because Gargano grabbed one of them and Damian Priest grabbed the other, and they pulled back. So he's split. Bronson Reed looks, comes underneath him, looks at his head, and then just annihilates him, you know, uh, and then gets annihilated by two ladders, and then they threw him at each other. It was like a lot of aggressive nature with these ladders and stuff. There was, I mean, there was just a crazy amount of spots. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of like something else. I'll, I'll pass it to you and think if I can think of like any moments that really stood out, but it was a crazy mess. Everyone looked like they got their fucking ass kicked. I really enjoyed it. And at the end of it, Damian Priest won the match. Uh, I remember when Cancel Ray came out and that splash that fucking Bronson Reed did with her on, her on his shoulders onto Johnny Gargano. That was pretty cool. It was cool that he was wearing Bam Bam Bigelow stuff. And also Damian Priest uh, did the whole uh, did a little nod to his mentor, as uh, Ray, or Beth Phoenix noted. By going underneath the ladder, much like he did in SummerSlam, I'm pretty sure Razor lost that match. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. But was also wearing an outfit, an outfit inspired by Shawn Michaels, his other mentor. So that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, anyways, we'll, we'll name some spots and I'll try to figure out some more before we move on. So I guess the, the question I have for you, are, are you done with seeing a ladder match on every takeover? Yeah, pretty much. I, I don't have to do them every single time. It seems like it, it's 
they've been in a flow where they have one it's almost if not everyone almost everyone there's a, a ladder match of some sort um my one of my favorite spots is one you just listed which was the the candace LeRae spot on johnny gargano i thought that was fun Gar- gargano almost dying every 10 seconds is always great um i i think this was probably match of the night for me and uh, Damian Priest wasn't a huge surprise. I, I just thought he made the most logical sense for this mid-card title. Uh, much like you, I right offhand, I can't think of all of the spots I liked. I would have to pull up uh, the full set of notes. But a uh, bunch of good stuff here. Not one of the best ladder matches I've seen in NXT ever. I still wonder what the hell this thing would have looked like with um, the artist. <laughs> <laughs> who oh, unfortunately, wow. who unfortunately injured but just the the curiosity of what the hell that would have looked like i thought bronson reed looked good and had a strong performance here and, and definitely had some cool spots he would have probably been my second option to win but like you said he he, he definitely uh ruined any chance of that by having they have them having him stand tall on the go home show i dude i i have to say that though cameron grimes might have to be my mvp because some of the silly things and also some of the spots that he took. He had that one spot where Johnny Gargano had the ladder attached to the ladder from the ropes. And I'm glad he actually didn't end up fucking hitting the ladder completely because that looked like it would have sucked more. But Johnny does basically what fucking uh, Sasha did to um, uh, Asuka on, on SummerSlam and did the Sunset Flip Powerbomb. But when he did it... He didn't hit the ladder besides his fucking head and his shoulder. And I was like, God damn, like that looked painful as hell. And then also Cameron also got his ass kicked by, uh, by, uh, what you call it? Um, uh, oh, the pixie. We just talked about her. Good job. Uh, you know, for your efforts, Mr. Cameron Grimes, I find you funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think most of the guy, everyone was in the. There was no one. There was nothing glaringly bad in this match. It's just that they've had better ones in the past, and that's the thing when you go to the well too often, I guess. I agree. I agree. Wow, I can't believe. I'm not gonna say this might have been my favorite match, but this could have been my favorite match, and I can't believe I'm saying that. I just was very impressed by the performance. And this says a lot about Adam Cole, and this also says a lot about Pat McAfee, but we had that match, Pat McAfee, Adam Cole. Uh, Adam Cole comes out with the Undisputed Era. Pat McAfee cuts a promo from the back, talking more shit, um, you know, bringing the brigade of football players behind him. But once it got to the ring, and it was Adam Cole and Pat McAfee, it was motherfucking on, and... They were doing pretty good chain wrestling stuff, uh, and Pat's selling well. He's not he's not overdoing it. It's not short. It's uh, pretty well done, and I think the big crazy one was when he put Adam Cole on top of the ropes uh, to do what we thought was going to be um, a superplex, and he was on there. Adam was fighting him. Adam pushed him from the top ropes. He did a backflip. And then kind of did the Shelton Benjamin, but instead of jumping up to the top rope and giving a suplex, he or um, a belly to belly, belly to bat, what a belly to belly suplex, he fucking just superplexed him off of it. Just showed great agility, man. Like he was able to keep up. Um, I thought they told a pretty good story in the ring, 
just the two of them. And the end was fine. I kind of don't like, like, if if Pat's, I wish that Pat was knocked for a loop a little bit more. So he was selling right at the end. Uh, could have been better, or they could have done more to him to actually have him that, like, fucked up where he's watching Adam as he says, I want you to watch me as I knock you out. And then, like, you know, pulls down his uh, thing, and he's about to do uh, his usual move, the last shot. But then decides, you know what, fuck this. I'm going to wait for this motherfucker to get up. And he doesn't paint him a sunrise. And sold very well by Pat McAfee. Or, or you know, having to do a move like that takes a lot from the person you're giving it to. So just in general, there were other spots I can't think of right now that were just very agile and out of nowhere that I did not think that he was going to be able to do. And uh, it was pretty impressive. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I enjoyed this. Uh, Pat. I know you're 33. I know that you've already uh, been a millionaire in five different industries, but if you ever wanted to have like a lightened schedule and do some training over at the performance center and get a little bit craftier, you know, definitely better than fucking Gronk. (laughs) I I was very impressed. I I have to say that I was definitely impressed. Yeah. I still wasn't a huge fan of, you know, Seth getting, or not Seth, but uh, Adam Cole getting punted a few weeks back, but I guess paying off having him win the actual match, um, which is more of my concern. I thought they were just going to have him lose uh, clean after the way they kind of built this thing up. But Pat cut a good promo last week. This match was like, I very, probably one of the better celebrity matches. I would say this is definitely up there. If not one of the best, maybe the Stephen Amell match, would have been a little was a little better just because it was kind of crazy to see him do as much aerial shit as he was doing. But uh, they told a good story, like you said, and uh, I, I wouldn't say this was my favorite match of the night, but it I didn't hate it as bad as I thought I was going to. And, and um, the promo leading into it, like I said, was really good. And, and there were some cool spots. And I, I really can't believe they did the Panama Sunrise at the end. But yeah, incredible. Good stuff all around. Good for Pat McAfee. Um, and yes, he is better than Gronk, turns out. Turns out I mean, there was he's, he's no he's no Brock Lesnar, but if you're just talking about former football players <laughs> or Bill like Goldberg, <sighs> I don't know. I think I'd probably rather see Pat in more matches than Bill Goldberg, but that's... me too. <laughs> um, yeah, there was that one part. Uh, the players almost, you know, were blocking off Pat from uh, Adam Cole. And then, of course, because of that undisputed error came back, they all went nose to nose, security broke them up, and then you don't really notice that Pat kind of just gets the fuck out of there, and then he does a swanton bomb onto all the motherfuckers. That was that was pretty good. That was, uh, that was another thing. I was, like I said, I just, I just was impressed. If he were to want to do something long-term, you know, he reminds me, and this is what I was going to tell you when um, I told you to text me after you're done with that match, is that obviously one was a technical mechanic and he's showing agility, you know, more acrobatics and shit. But as the character goes, kind of gave me like a little bit of a Mr. Perfect vibe. And I told uh, Raj Giri that on Twitter. Um, I could definitely see him being a pretty good suitable heel if they wanted him to or if he wanted to, I should say. Well, shit, he was one of the best promos they've had on NXT in a long time. So <laughs> that's he's halfway there, right? Uh, if you I, wanted to stick I would around. think so. But yeah, I mean, I, overall, I, I liked 
I was pleasantly surprised by this match in in his promo on NXT to build to this match. Um, I'm not going to take back what I said. I don't necessarily know that this was going to do anything huge for your roster. But if this guy is going to stick around and, and become like a part time guy that you can do some matches with and stuff in the future. Um, you know, if, if that if that's how this thing turns out and plays out, then I, I will admit being slightly wrong. But if this was a one-off thing, I, I mean, I, I still feel like there's better things you could have had Adam Cole doing. Yeah, no, and I, I do agree with that. All right, so we had the women's, uh, you know, um, title match. Uh, the NXT Women's Champion Dakota Kai going against, or the NXT Women's Champion Io Shirai going against Dakota Kai with Raquel Gonzalez. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Gonzalez was a, a pretty good uh, a factor in this match. I mean, a lot of it was these two ladies beating the living hell out of each other for, uh, a, you know, a majority of the time. And basically Dakota Kai was going off after one of her legs and she was going after her one of her arms. So she was trying to take out her moonsault and trying to take out some of her striking power. So she was it, it was her shoulder, I believe. And... Um, you know, you'd have EO come back a little bit and then try put her in her place. Kind of went to hell for her though when she went for that Haluva kick. She, I, I don't think she, I don't think she gets it most of the times. I think she's like Flair with the fucking, with the figure four. It's like, oh, that actually might be a detriment for you. But um, you know, after that, it was a lot of shit. And then Dakota Kai accidentally uh, knocked out the ref. Um, that's what happened. So she went for it and the referee was pushed in the way on accident, and he got knocked in the face. So we have Raquel Gonzalez tearing shit up. Um, and still, Io, you know, she went for her moonsault. There's no ref there. So she, just, Raquel comes in, wrecks her, puts Dakota Kai on top of her, gets the ref to count. She doesn't get a three count. She gets a two. And then towards the end, you know, uh, Io Shirai powers back up. She goes for a moonsault, takes out Raquel Gonzalez to the outside, which, by the way, the fact that she doesn't look for the other person, that's kind of scary because you got to just hope that you're definitely in the position of where you need to fucking catch her because she kicked. She looked like she kicked fucking Raquel Gonzalez in the face uh, with both of her legs. So eh, what are you going to do? She's still a badass and then goes in, finishes the job with Dakota Kai at the end. Raquel Gonzalez comes in, storms in, starts beating the shit out of her with Dakota Kai. Enter, for some reason, you know, uh, Rhea Ripley comes down there, gets face-to-face with Raquel Gonzalez. They go at it. She takes her out. She takes Dakota Kai, uh, Dakota Kai out. Uh, Io gets up. And then you see this one great visual. As Io Shirai celebrating, you know, she's looking towards one camera. You can see Rhea Ripley behind her staring at her and not smiling like I'm coming for your fucking title. I'm taking that back. And uh, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was a pretty good match. I liked the uh, setup at the end. Uh, even the fuckery worked out with the match itself of telling a good story. So Io Shirai, she was a little sloppy. I remember that early on. I don't know if she was, like, nursing something, but she she seemed like she messed up her leg and she was kind of having issues with it. And it wasn't the one they were kind of working on. So I don't know. Uh, what did you think, Chris? 
I thought the match started out pretty good, then kind of turned into a little bit of a clusterfuck towards the end with the the way they decided to go about the finish. But Io retains. I, and I mean, this sets up Rhea versus Io, which is where I think they wanted to go anyway. So I don't have any problems with uh, the way the match came out itself. I just I, I think, like you said, there was some sloppiness on Io's part. And then the end, the end of the match did turn into a little bit of a clusterfuck to me, at least. What I'm going to assume, booking-wise, they're going to have a tag match with Rhea and Io against Dakota and um, Raquel. And Io and, De- Io and uh, Rhea are going to win, and then Rhea's going to fucking just fuck up Io Shirai right afterwards. I could see that happening this week. I, I think that's a good call. That's a good call for sure. All right, well, the last match, Karrion Cross versus Keith Lee. One problem I just want to say ahead of time, and this seems to happen. I mean, it just happens inevitably. But the whole point of this match was working, I think, on Lee's left shoulder. And I'm pretty sure that was the same thing they were doing with Dakota Kai in her match. It was just like a one thing. It's like... (sighs) I noticed it back to back. I was like, they're doing the same exact fucking setup, but maybe that's me who just pays attention too much. But those little things, especially if they're both the championship matches, I kind of uh, picked up on that. But either way, Karrion Cross, dude, I got to give him props, man. I think it was like a third into his match, he separated his shoulder. Uh, he's going to be gone, and I don't know what exactly they're going to be doing with the title. Uh, for, what was it, like six to eight weeks, I believe. So he's going to be gone for a little while. Um, and sucks because he won the title, but for most of that match, he was doing it with a separated shoulder, which, that's wrestler's mentality, man. You just, he picked up fucking Keith Lee at one point while that was going on. And I think it kind of took away from the match. It looked like he was having problems the whole entire time. He kept on hitting it and shit like that. And the funny thing is he's working on Keith Lee's arm throughout the match. That that's that's where he was going, so he couldn't <laughs> he couldn't lift him. But in 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 actuality, you know, carrying cross his shoulders separated throughout the whole entire fucking thing. So kudos to him for being able to do that. It definitely took back away from the match. It was already going to be slow and methodical because that's what you can tell Carrion's pace is. But some of the stuff was really impressive. There was a lot of holds, you know, slow holds with. Uh, him trying to take down Keith Lee, but he inevitably choked his ass out. He took a spear bomb and he fucking choked out Keith Lee. Obviously, we know Keith Lee is now on Raw. Uh, he made his debut tonight, uh, and yeah, that that's that's his future. So, small title reign. Let's get you up on Raw. I guess that's how it's gonna have to be. There's a lot of guys that should have had the title. That got put on Raw before they even got a chance to from NXT. So I guess it's a good thing he had somewhat of a title reign. He won both titles in the same night. Pretty good stuff. Karrion Cross has it, but obviously I don't know if he does. I heard, I forgot who was breaking this down, but they were saying it's not as bad as they thought it was going to be. So it's an injury that obviously involves a separation of the shoulder, but it's much more minor where it's going to be, I think, like a couple months. So... A couple of months will be out, two to three, hopefully. Then I'll be back. But uh, what what did you think about the match, and what did you think about the news of carrying Cross uh, separating his shoulder? It sucks that he got injury. He got injured, and they still put the title on him. 
Um, obviously, they had plans for Keith Lee tonight, who I just saw is now going against Randy Orton tonight. Looks so like it. Straight to the fucking top for this guy. So good, good for him. Um, but yeah, I mean that sucks. I, I personally, I may have dialed that off if if he said midway through that he seemed like his shoulder was really fucked up. Because uh, this puts you in a similar situation as what they had with, uh, I mean, this is reminiscent to me of Finn Balor, right? When Finn Balor's shoulder got injury, right, injured right after he won the title. Um, it's the only thing I can say where I, I don't think they necessarily have to take the title right, of, right off of him is because of the character, he could just cut, cut vignettes and you can just focus around the uh, North American title. Yeah. That is very true. He can still do some stuff and just build up to it. It just sucks. Any, any person that's like in a situation like this, like Finn, where they they're injured throughout the match, they they compete, they finish the match, but they still get the title and then they have to fucking stop uh, because of an injury that happens. That's that blows. That sucks. I guess one the like I said, the the good thing about this is at least it not at least it's carrying cross because i don't think that it's good that he got injured but at least it is a character like that because there's still more you can do with him he doesn't necessarily have to be out there yep. wrestling each week if you want to keep the title on him for you know eight weeks you can you just got to build your show a little different um but yeah i mean the match itself knowing that he got injured um it, pretty decent for what they were able to put on if one guy had a separated shoulder or a torn torn shoulder for half the fucking thing Yep, I agree. But um, I think that's our show, man. I think, uh, yeah, I I will say uh, I will say this is one of the weaker takeovers in a long time, in my opinion. I agree. I do agree. It wasn't it wasn't terrible. It was still a lot of fun. There was a lot of good matches, but they've definitely. I mean, they're known. I I guess it's a good thing. They're known for like fucking doing some crazy shit. And being like the pay-per-view to talk about, you know, there was one time, Chris, especially based on their roster, where their takeovers, it was like, who's going to have the better overall wrestling pay-per-view, New Japan or fucking takeover? Those are the guys that you looked at as the top level. And this one was kind of a little bit weaker, I would say. I think part of the problem is that they hot-shotted so many of these TV pay-per-views recently, and some of those were actively better than the show, specifically like the Great American Bash event where Keith Lee won the title. I think that one was well, – that was Great American Bash, right? I think so. Ran. The one where EO jumped off the fucking – or no, that was uh, that was in your house. Maybe maybe that's what it was, was in your house. It's the one where the guy accidentally leaked the photo of Keith Lee with the title and then probably immediately got fired. Um, but yeah, I thought that one was actually better than this takeover. I think that's part of the problem when you start doing this level of huge matches as a weekly pay, pay-per-view and then also have your takeovers. Um, unfortunately, they had a lot of injuries too heading into this thing. So it would have been interesting to see, like I said, if the artist was there. Um, and what they would have done with that. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I just expected a little bit more out of the show. It was still a very good show. Uh, did you think it was better than NXT's TV show? Uh, this last week? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I'm saying that without remembering a lot of what happened on it. 
But I, I, I thought Karrion Cross being Keith Lee was a big deal. The match was a little bit of a letdown. Obviously, we know that even though it was going to be slow and methodical, like we both said, you know, he was doing it with a fucking separated shoulder. So shit happens. I did like EO and Dakota Kai. There was a little bit of clusterfuck towards it, but it was there was some good spots. Uh, and I love the stuff with Rhea afterwards. Um, I like, <laughs> I can't, it might be my second favorite match of the night, but the Pat McAfee match against, uh, Adam Cole was entertaining as hell. Uh, I love the, the ladder match. I guess that might've been my favorite. And I thought the Tim- Timothy Thatcher from Balor was good. The, the ladder match was pretty non-existent cause it was like on and off and I was happy Fandango won, but I don't even remember what the fuck happened. So I don't remember exactly what happened on NXT last week. Uh, compared to AEW though. Well, that's what I meant, AEW, the comparison, because they went kind of head-to-head for a little bit. See, AEW, there was I, – I liked the stuff with Tully, but it was a very small part. I don't know. That ending was crazy. The ending of Cody losing to uh, Brody Lee was much more compelling than Keith Lee losing to Karrion Cross. I'll just say that. I thought that they had a way stronger out. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I, I will give TakeOver the slight edge just because the ladder match was so good, but that FTR tag match was probably my second favorite match uh, off both shows. It's weird to compare the two because they shouldn't even been going head-to-head, but it is what it is. And uh, Yeah, that's all I have, but I, I liked both shows. If you haven't seen TakeOver yet, it's it's worth a watch. It's not one of the better shows, but it, it was it was good overall. All right, so before we go, I'm, I'm looking up and seeing, because they were supposed to come out by now. They weren't right before we did the show. But what AEW's ratings were on Saturday. Results 22nd. Would that been? Yep. All right. So we can get the hell out of here. Um, no. Why is it telling me about NXT? That's not the fucking right thing. Yeah, and we won't get any ratings off NXT because they don't really do numbers from pay-per-view oh, I guess, events on WWE. I guess they were they were just talking about just in general with uh compared to NXT what they made this. No, that's not it. That is definitely not it. God damn it! Where the fuck is the newest one? This is this is great. On-air stuff. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? What we'll do is, when we recap SummerSlam, we'll give you guys the numbers. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're going to have to wait for that, because I can't find these. Maybe they haven't gone through yet. But I was I was curious if, if, if moving to Saturday and also kind of going against NXT in a different way with their pay-per-view, how it was going to do with their ratings. But... Whatever. Um, Either way, I think that is the episode of the show. So thank you guys so much for listening to us. All new listeners, go to geekvibesnation.com. That's geekvibesnation.com. You will find links to, you know, different news articles that our website does from all of our amazing editors. Uh, You can also find links for our social media, for Geek Vibes, for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, And like all of our different audio platforms. You can either find them on there where we're on iTunes, we're on YouTube, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, we're on, you know, SoundCloud, a lot of different ones. You can either find them on there or you can Google 
specifically with our show, Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Find your different audio thing that you use and listen to us every week. Uh, thanks for all of our old listeners for always coming back and listening to us. We enjoy talking about wrestling to you guys. I want to thank my co-host and partner, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. Say goodbye to all the lovely people. Goodbye, lovely people. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to talk to me on Twitter, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton. Uh, we didn't get a hockey show out this weekend that will be coming back up, but if you like hockey, check out, out at Skates to Throats. We'll be picking up the playoffs a little later this week and uh, talking about all that. So, uh, yeah, thanks thanks again for having me, Dane. And, and, and like I said, everyone out there, have a good week. Oh, I forgot to say, and I'm sorry to do this right as we're leaving, but nice little song on the last episode. I like that. <laughs> yes, uh, Bright Eyes put out a new album. So if you listen to the last uh, the last episode, I, I did a cover of Poison Oak. So you'll get to hear Chris Patton do some singing. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Definitely uh, hope for more. But um, yeah, you guys have a good one, and uh, definitely come back with our next episode. We'll have it later on this week. It's going to be still probably a weird schedule. That's just how it is. But uh, either way, come back. Thank you guys so much. You have a wonderful evening. Peace out, and let the geek vibes be with you.